Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Then I pushed myself even further, and the boat after that was a one-off skiff that looked production. Mm -hmm. So I made homemade molds for the deck. I still cold-molded the hull and cold-molded the cockpit, but I actually pulled parts out of a homemade deck that I built um, out of a homemade mold. Yeah. You know, and um, I mean, I had the gutter systems for the hatches machined out. Yeah. Like drew them up, had my buddy work at a cabinet shop that, you know, we talked about five axes today. Yeah. Well, those were, you know, three axes, you know, router that routed those out, made my own hatch molds, pulled parts out. And I just did it just to do it, yeah. you know. And I remember I posted that on microskiff.com and there's guys like, dude, you're, this is like your calling. Yeah. You know, you did this on your own in your garage. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome. Uh, everybody that's on Instagram, welcome as well. Welcome to another episode of the Skiff Wanderer podcast. Today I'm joined by my good friend, Mr. Brian Little. If you guys don't know who Brian is, he is the owner, creator, mastermind behind Sabine Skiffs, which real quick, I want to say thank you. I don't think I ever have, but thank you. You guys, you've been one of my big supporters since the beginning, so I really appreciate all the support yeah, from sure. Sabine. Um, today we're going we're gonna to talk about a little bit about Sabine Skiff history. We're going to talk a little about Brian's history. We're going to talk about building skiffs future of sabine and then we're gonna get a little bit into i, I want to talk a little bit about some of the uh adventures that you've been on with yeah, the sabines for sure i think you're gonna or you, you just you're on your way home from an adventure yeah and unfortunately skiffs got to get built tomorrow so we can't fish <laughs> no. and some bad weather coming in but yeah no we we'll uh into those for sure we you guys should check out the youtube video brian was kind enough to take us take me behind the scenes and do a little filming in the in the rigging shop and show some of the stuff he's working on for the future of sabine and uh was able to capture that and get a video together and i'm excited for you guys to see that 
I don't think it's every day that somebody gets to see really behind the scenes of skiffs getting built. No. I mean, every now and then a customer would come, and you'd be surprised how many skiffs that I don't meet the person until they pick their boat up. Yeah. Which is, I don't might know if seem I odd to you. some people, but yeah. yeah I, don't I don't think I met you till, yeah. till, till you picked, till I picked up, it up. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a few times. But it's it's good to have the closer clients that come in. Um, it's an excuse to go eat lunch and hang out. Yeah. And then, you know, get to show the rig shop and then yeah. what's going on with the composite shop. And some get to see the aluminum shop, but very few people, you know. It's crazy um, how, like, I remember when I picked mine up, it's crazy how far you guys have come. And that yeah. was, feels like yesterday, but I know it was that two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I read it two years. And, you know, every year it's different. I walk, you walk around the shop or like the shop we started in, you know, it didn't even have a bathroom when we walked into it, the first one. And, um, you know, when we left and moved out, it was just, wow, there's a bathroom in the corner that we built, you know, which was the first <laughs> thing we built. But just how we set that shop up to get materials, to hold equipment. And then now how we have just the rig shop, not really just our fab shop. And then, you know, other shops that we're going to start that we'll get into. But, um, yeah, especially through COVID, and, and we're going to dive into that, yeah. and having the warehouse way more things. And, I mean, I just added a new shelf, and I am i didn't tell you in the shop, but I almost want to tear down where I set, store the push poles to do a shelving for the motors Jeez. just to stack them, you know. And, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 wild times that we're in, but, yeah. Yeah. So, um, tell, tell us a little bit about, about yourself, where you grew up. Okay. So, Everything. yeah, you probably hear Fisher. She's yeah. walking around, yeah, tipper-tapping. here with us. So, yeah, we'll debut her face here in a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I grew up in Columbus, Texas. Uh, my dad was a cattle rancher. Uh, did a little ranching for, for himself, for us. But mainly, uh, we lived out on a ranch that uh, a family owned. Yeah. And it was like a small town. They built a house for us. Me and my three brothers and my parents. And... Yeah, we were just, it was just living out there, fishing, hunting when yeah. we weren't working. Did you fish the and salt a lot? No. Growing up, you know, it seemed like maybe one time a year we would go, mm-hmm. and uh, my mother loved to eat flounder. So we would go and flounder fish. But it so, was all bait, you yeah. know, very few lure stuff. I did have an aunt and uncle that live uh, on the on the river, uh, Lavaca River. So we'd go visit them mm-hmm. and go uh, flounder gigging. That was a lot of big, big pastime of theirs, and then red fishing. Yeah, but it wasn't to really lure and fly fish for uh, saltwater fish till during and then after college. I got you. Yeah, and so, uh, when uh, a lot of bass fishing, a lot of freshwater. Growing yeah, a lot up. of fresh- on the ponds. You know, freshwater fishing. Mm-hmm. Those. That's that. I mean, that's where yeah. I got my start. Was all freshwater, yeah. and then trips to the coast whenever mm-hmm. we could go. Um, and then uh, when do you when did you really get serious about the salt? It wasn't. It was during college. I yeah. I went to Beaumont, so you know halfway across Texas, away from my family, um, and I stayed there every summer. Yeah, I had a summer job and worked, and then some summers I would go to school. But every summer, then I was fishing piers, you know, lighted piers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, my parents made a rule when I went to college that I couldn't take a boat or buy a boat because <laughs> they knew, you know, growing up, I was the guy, I was the, their, you know, their four boys. I was the one that took a rod and reel everywhere, no mm-hmm. matter where. 
I was the fisherman. Yeah, we were the and we were the kids in high yeah. school that used to get in trouble at lunchtime with the cops because we were trying to fish bass ponds near the yeah. school. That that okay. was me. I mean, yep. I just went all over that. You know, whether we were visiting people or whatever, yeah. we had a, I would bring my rod and reel with me. But it was the same way in college. So, but then in the summertime, you had more freedom after work. So, or you know, weekends. And I fished a lot around Sabine Pass at some of the lighted piers. Yeah. And just walked out on the piers. And then it didn't take long to find the pattern. And then I was I was fishing a lot of ways that other people weren't. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you get a lot of pier fishermen or bait right. fishermen, right? right? So they'll you. say, you know, cast net for shad or whatever, just, you know, or shrimp if the, you know, the bait shop was open. And then a lot of lure presentations, I found pretty quick that you would, we, I started that too, just fishing with shad. Yeah. And then I found that I could uh, free line shad mm-hmm. and get a better presentation. So I was almost reeling in this free line shad. Then it went into getting jigs that looked like a free line shad. <laughs> yeah. And then all I did was artificial after that. Yeah. And then, you know, every year, you know, I'd stay in the area and, and work. And so that kind of grew. And then you meet more people that I went to college with or ran track with and they're family or themselves had boats so yeah. sometimes they would take me you know fishing you. but it wasn't until i graduated college and i needed a boat yeah that was the the second thing i bought the first thing was a motorcycle which is the worst investment <laughs> i ever made in my life i mean i i, re, I was on the way home thinking i should have just kept this money and bought, a boat. bought a boat <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things because i couldn't really afford a motorcycle mm-hmm. and i was looking at mavericks and different boat other polling skiffs that i ended up building my own yeah so in the grand scheme of things i guess it was a blessing that out. i bought the motorcycle so um when uh when did you start fly fishing so it was the first summer out of college um Two of my high school buddies were at A&M, mm-hmm. and we all graduated college at the same time. Yeah. I guess they were on the five-year plan, too. <laughs> and um, one of them got a job in South Padre yeah. releasing falcons on the island. So he had a job yeah. and a place to stay on South Padre <laughs> in the summertime, and we all graduated college. So I videoed, and I was I was big in the video, and then, and I still am, but I just don't have time now. It's a skiff company, but I videoed it somewhere. I think I have that tape. Yeah, I don't know if a lot of people, my wife or other people, want to see that. No, but it was it was a lot of fun, like driving down there, just the jokes. I mean, we weren't like oh, yeah. doing nothing stupid, but just. And <clears throat> long story short, I ended up meeting someone on that trip who was friends of friends of my two high school buddies that there was their college buddies. Yeah. Uh, one of them introduced me to fly fishing and one of them is one of my investors in this company. No, no, no joke. Yeah. And is still with me, a good friend of mine today, you know, pretty yeah. much I call him my banker and business partner, whatever. And on that trip, two of the guys were really into fly fishing and you know, you see it in high school. I wanted to buy some stuff. I wanted to get in it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, but that's when I watched the river run through it and all that, you know, and the whole peak happened. But where I lived was so far away from Houston, and which was the closest fly shop, was Fish and Tackle Unlimited. Mm-hmm. And I remember even looking in, like, the Sears catalogs, and you know, because back then it's what you did. You didn't have yeah. the internet. You looked at all these magazines, or I don't even know if Bass Pro was even in the area then, you know, in the 80s in early 90s but um yeah that was so basically i didn't i couldn't afford 
a fly rod in high school and I really wanted to get into it then. Yeah. But it was after college. Then um, one of the guys on that trip gave me an Orvis set. It was his, he handed me down, excuse me, one of his sets. And then it's like a year later, you know, I was building first boat and I bought my own and I built the wrong, I built the Texas scooter boat. Excuse yeah. me. It wasn't designed to pole. Mm-hmm. It was more to get us from point A to point B. Yeah. Cause I was, um, in the winter time I was wade fishing for big trout. That was like, I did that for five or six years and then I fly fished in the summertime. I got you. So put a polling platform on this 12 foot scooter boat that pulled like an inner tube. <laughs> and, and that was yeah. the first boat I built. I did, I did, while I built that boat, I bought a bass boat to get me by. It was a 15 foot tri-hole boat with like a brand new 50 horse on it. Yeah. And a, a friend sold it to me. And uh, so I ran, I was learning all the marshes and this bass boat actually would draft pretty shallow, but didn't have the polling platform. You couldn't really pull it and just trolled everywhere. And, and uh, so it wasn't a good fly fishing craft, but um, it was called the pro. That yeah. was the model of yeah, this yeah. 15 foot bass boat. And all my buddies, because we were in Beaumont, Cajun country, they all nicknamed it the P-Row. The P-Row? Because it said, you know, P-Row. <laughs> Like P-Row canoe. And so we took the P-Row all over. But I used that boat while I was building my first boat. Yeah. And then the first boat, when I was fishing it, and I put the polling platform on it, I'm trying to pull this thing. And I was so mad at myself for not just stretching. I had the material. Mm-hmm. If that 12-foot boat, if I would have just made it 15 to 16 foot long, yeah, it would have been a really awesome fly fishing boat. fly fishing boat. Yeah. Because it could pull better. I mean, it was always shallow, but just pulled an inner so, tube. So like what what led you to like to build like to build that first boat? I know like it, you needed a boat, but like how did you get like the this so, is how I build a boat? Yeah, so I was fortunate enough um in college a civil engineering major, but um there was a concrete canoe competition. Yeah. That's a national wide nation nationwide competition. And I got into it about my I don't even want to call it my sophomore, junior year. Let's call it my third year. (laughs) My sophomore and a half year. Um, Anyway, I got into that. And then my junior year, I got into a little bit more. Well, my senior year, I was president of the American Civil, uh, American Society of Civil Engineers for Lamar. And I made that my senior project. Mm -hmm. And the dean was like, Brian, if this is your senior project, like you're going to get credit for it. You're going to, you know, but that way you can focus on it. Yeah. And we, I used the same hull design that we already had that the university adopted. Or I think the team or two before us developed it. It was a good fast hull design. It turned, you know, but I got just, and I lived on campus mm-hmm. so I could go to the lab. And back then you could have it this before 9-11. Yeah. Uh, they gave us a key. To like, just get in and out. In and out of almost every room of the whole university. <laughs> Oh no! I, I mean, it was cool. So, yeah. I mean, I was, I was, but I wasn't doing bad stuff. But I was in the lab till midnight making mixed designs, and I was making the composite because you can't use resin. Right, it's a concrete. concrete. So your concrete is your resin. Yeah. But then during the day, on my spare time, one of my professors gave me a key to his office, which is on you know. But I would, yeah. which gave me a phone, and I would contact composite companies. So carbon fiber companies fiberglass all this stuff uh and some of that wasn't good with concrete fiberglass is horrible in concrete mm-hmm. it, it um, causes a uh, chemical imbalance anyway 
But uh, so polypropylene, polyethylene, all these different meshes, and I'm studying these in college. I built my own machine because all of our concrete breaking machines were too uh, powerful to break lightweight concrete. Yeah. So I took you know the cylinders because I needed this for a paper presentation, all this stuff. So you made them just like you did a concrete cylinder when you're building a house or foundation, and they're doing test samples. I made a deal with a local park, um, Texas Department of Transportation. Yeah. So I'm driving to Beaumont, and I would just wave to them. They're like, all right, Brian's here again. So I'd go break my own samples. <laughs> they taught me how to work this machine. Yeah. And I'd break my own samples. Well, I went kind of past everybody previously in our university, and I made my own one foot by one foot or a square foot uh, composite layups. Yeah. So this many layers of mesh or this thickness of concrete. So basically, I, and I did all these different ones Well, I had no way to break it. So I built my own little machine in college to measure stress and strain so I could see deflection. Yeah. About how many, you know, pounds that we put. It was a fishing scale and a motor. It wasn't anything special. <laughs> so I had, it wasn't digital. So I had one guy like, you know, we're at five pounds. And I had one guy writing it down and I'm watching a deflection meter. Yeah. You know, all right, we're deflecting point deal, point whatever. And it, you, when you graphed it, it mm-hmm. was just perfect. And it showed where it broke. Yeah. But anyway, so I did all that and that, that just drove me. It was fun. It wasn't the canoe part. It was coming up with my own designs or laminate schedule. I was pretty much making my own laminate schedule out yeah. of concrete and polypropylene is what I ended up going with, with some carbon fiber in some of these stringers. Yeah. So, um, and I got school credit, you know, for mess- to do that. For doing yeah. that, yeah. So it was fun. But then my, I think it was my junior or it was my senior year. Because I was president of the American Society of Civil Engineers, I got to go to some cool events in the, mm-hmm. on the campus. Um, and that year, this guy who gra- – he was from that area, Andy Green, he developed uh, – he started doing sailboats. He, he he worked in a composite industry around Dallas doing aircraft stuff. Yeah. But he was a sailboater. So he started doing his own sailboats in like the 60s or 70s, racing sailboats. He did composite chassis. And then when he got older, got his company going, he got into making industrial parts and then got into uh, pultrusion machines, which is how you make um, fiberglass or composite like tubes. Okay. It's one way to make tubes and shapes and I-beams and all this stuff. And he got a big contract to make like the largest diameter composite water pipe because of corrosive yeah, industrial yeah, yeah. water. And uh, um, anyway, it doesn't matter what he did, but that's what got, I mean, it just, he boomed, sold his company, 20 years later, donated some money back to Lamar. Yeah. And started Composite Lab, which is, it's still at Lamar. They have composite engineers there. Uh, I did reach out for him for my project we're going to talk to, but I ended up using another engineer to help me with my laminate schedules. But anyway, so that, you know, in college, I was kind of seeing that, you know, or seeing that come into the university, but I was too late because i was leaving oh yeah before the lab really started but i met andy yeah who's built sailboats yeah so i just called him like dude i'm designing this boat and i already did my own research i knew who to talk to already because of my concrete you know my senior project i knew what company to call and who so i told them what size of boat this 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 and you know what thickness material should i use here and they're not going to stick their neck out because they're not, right. they don't want to be liable, right. but they help. Andy backed it up, said, you're 
doing the right thing, the right thicknesses, the right densities of foam. And I built my own boat. And nothing, nothing scarier than building, you know, I mean, I wasn't making a lot then. I was doing decent, but yeah. I was, I just bought a bunch of material. Yeah, yeah. That could turn into nothing, you know, but it worked and floated and, and I fished tournaments with that little bitty. It was a 12 foot boat, but I fished Texas Trout Masters. I've taken that boat to South Padre for, I mean, uh, uh, North Padre Island. I ran from Bird Island all the way to the land cut into nine mile hole by myself and then back fishing one day in a 12 foot boat that's crazy and then all over sabine all that and then then i got into i was trying to get a production going a production company going when i was 24 years old so you were already trying to go full-time yeah so when i bought those materials i went ahead and started a company yeah so so when i bought the materials i didn't pay taxes markup and all that stuff and so i already had an llc going got set up with parks and or uh yeah parks and wildlife with coast guard had all my all that numbers and i was what even 25 or 24 hey i thought my goal was to retire by 30. that worked no retired by 40. (laughs) but i i'm working harder than i ever worked yeah no but um yeah so i was doing that and that that was right when you know so I had this little scooter boat, and back then you had forums. You didn't have like oh yeah, chat rooms and forums. Yeah, and I stuff. think Too Cool might have been going. I don't even think Too Cool Fishing was going, but you didn't have Facebook. Um, but a few because I was closer to Louisiana, I started going to some fly fishing clubs in Lake Charles. Yeah, and still friends with some of the original people I met, uh, Ron Begno and uh, Devin Palmetto and some other guys. And um, they were there was one Hell's Bay in Lake Charles. There was a dolphin skiff, fifteen foot dolphin skiff with a forty horse mert, like overpowered, and um, those are the only guys that I knew had Poland skiffs, and I knew some were in Houston or whatever from Too Cool, kind of starting off and all this stuff, and they're like, dude, you know, you need to come fish on this first. Your scooters, wait, you know, set up for fly fishing, throwing yeah. rods, and you know. <clears throat> when I built my boat, it was a scooter boat that had a pointed V and that's, it wasn't until I almost had it done. And a friend was like, dude, that looks like a new water. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what a new water is. You know, then I met, then I figured, you know, I learned who, um, I can't get the owner of new water right now. Tim Clancy's his name. I said, I couldn't think of new water's owner's name. Yeah. But that's when I, I learned about uh new water. And at the time I think he had the Avocet and he just built the curlew. I think so. Anyway, yeah. but and that's when um, Kevin Finn was in st- his business partner. I can't think of his name. Started East Cape, um, and I'll just say it, it's when Beavertail knocked off Hell's Bay. <laughs> was right when I was getting my first production molds going. And that that cycle. I'm not going to get into that story because it's like a. It's right when I met my wife. We were redoing a warehouse in Port Arthur, Texas, and it was just a horrible. It wasn't a horrible time in my life with my wife and family, yeah. but the guy helping me get this going yeah. was, uh, well, he was a crook. He was just a straight up crook. So uh con artist, and he he did some other things even after the skiff molds got to us and whatever, that it was just, I had to get away from him. Yeah. And luckily I got majority of my money back. I just lost all the sweat equity that I had. Yeah, to. yeah. So anyway, I was 24, 25 years old, whatever. Uh, I think 25 was like the hardest birthday I ever had because I was, you know, I was, my life was ruined, gone, right? Yeah. yeah, it was ruined. Anyway, but um, but yeah, Kayla was, you know, she helped me 
kind of get that warehouse and office stuff going. So we learned a lot, learned a big valuable lesson. Um, huge business lesson. I mean, I learned more that year with entrepreneurship and stuff. I was going to class at Lamar. Yeah. Um, some entrepreneurship classes and different things. And actually those guys helped me negotiate the deal to get my money back. Oh, so, that's good. Anyway, but you know, so you got to fail to succeed or whatever yeah. how people say. And th- right after that, I had a trailer for this first production boat and all this stuff. And I had a boat in a mold mm-hmm. and I never got to put that boat on the water, which was kind of a blessing, but really hard. So I had this motor and some other stuff and all my, I mean, I was already getting vendors set up, motor vendors and all this stuff. So I just built a, was my first, even though I had a pr- production polling skiff molds. Yeah. Made, I, after that, I built my first polling skiff, really, that made it on the water. And it was a wooden, I, I was, I had, a you know, all this money and stuff tied into this. I did get some back, but I was just getting married. I was like, I'm not going to put a lot of this money into a homemade boat. Right. So I did just um, marine plywood. Yeah. Fiberglass and uh, polyester resin. I didn't even use epoxy. But I learned a lot in composites at that time, building those molds and building those first parts. I set out for my own sake, not like to prove this to the world. I want to see how light I could build this 18. It was almost 19 foot Poland skiff. That was a little narrower than a versatile. Yeah. It had a 40 horse on it. And this wooden boat was like... I was almost too light. Surprised it didn't break. Yeah. But it to the point that the four years I ran it, when I got done with it, to learn more, I cut it up with a chainsaw to see if anything inside strings broke or yeah. whatever, you know. Um, but I ran that boat. I repainted that boat three times. Like I ran it hard. It? Every boat that I've built homemade yeah. <clears throat> has a three to five year cycle. <laughs> In my whole life, have a I have a I have about a five year cycle of work job, you know, work careers. But yeah. I'm on six years of skiff, so <laughs> we're not we're not giving this one up yet, or, or yeah. selling or moving off evolving. or whatever. Yeah, but exactly, that's how I yeah. create. And that's what I did. I just I got rid of that one and uh, evolved into another one, which was a. Then I pushed myself even further, and the boat after that was a one off skiff that looked production mm-hmm. so i made homemade molds for the deck i still cold molded the hull and cold molded the cockpit but i actually pulled parts out of a homemade deck that i built um out of a homemade mold yeah you know and um i mean i had the gutter systems for the hatches machined out yeah like drew them up had my buddy work at a cabinet shop that you know we talked about five axes today yeah well those were you know three axes you know router that routed those out made my own hatch molds pulled parts out and i just did it just to do it yeah you know and i remember i posted that on microskiff.com and there's guys like dude you're this is like you're calling yeah you know you did this on your own in your garage <laughs> well they didn't know i already tooled up you know helped tool up these production molds right, that like right. no the company didn't make it but so i knew a lot about tooling and making composite stuffs but the reason I, I said about, or the reason I brought up the plywood boat is I learned during that time because that's when really Hell's Bay and some of these companies were pushing different composites and Kevlars and all this stuff. And my first scooter boat was, it had Kevlar in it. Yeah. Um, the carbons at the time were too thick. They didn't really help you out a whole lot and whatever. But, but um, 
I knew that it didn't matter the materials of your boat. Mm-hmm. It was how it was designed, if yeah. it had hull slap or not. Yeah. And at that time, I almost built, I almost bought welders and built an aluminum skiff in my garage before I did the production looking one off. Yeah. Um, and I had a buddy who was willing to pay X amount of money to get that to whole base. And I just didn't take that step. I actually tried to contract it out to a, a builder there local. And then after meeting with, I, I said the wrong things because I, he was all for it yeah until i told him i want you to stick with this x amount of tolerance yeah and i he i didn't did. need to stick with that x amount of tolerance but it scared him oh so i mean we i might have would have built the first one at least had someone build it and kind of and that's how he built sabine yeah i had a company build it and then we tested it and then i got my own crew going but and i knew just it wasn't a material issue because at right. that time there was people out there that were building just high-end carbon fiber kevlar yada 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 skiffs mm-hmm. that weren't and i could see when they were tooling these up i'm going to that's not whole slap that's you know, like i had so much experience at that time with whole slap and what made it and what didn't make it then i do my hands like this because that, that's riffing up the chine break <laughs> and, you know, yeah. anyway and um i had all the experience at that time from screwing up and building all these boats myself my first boat had whole slap yeah but i didn't care because it was a scooter boat to get me to big trout and all i was gonna do is jump off and wade fish yeah it was a mean of transportation yeah but um so yeah that was kind of where when i started the production i still titled all my boats yeah under ultralight boatworks Mm -hmm. is the company today um even though they were homemade one-offs you know because i had the company i just kept it going just and um but you know, I knew back then this I could make an aluminum boat with no hull slap. And I started the Sabine name about the time of the, um, the I have a little different nicknames for it, but um, the one-off production-looking boat, because I'm not going to say what I named it on the <laughs> podcast. It's not really a product, you know, anyway. But, um, but... I called it in when I titled it. It yeah. was a Sabine skiff. Yeah. In the in the paperwork, and then um, shortly after that, we went and got our dog that we found online, mm-hmm. and we named her Sabine Lake. Yeah. And that was just Sabine Lake was my. It's still my favorite place to fish. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a cool river system. It's a cool delta system with the Natchez River and Sabine River mm-hmm. coming into it. And it's anyway. So that's kind of where the name came from. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I moved around with different projects. I was a, you know, I did design civil engineering for eight years mm-hmm. to the point of like working for ExxonMobil and we did calculations, like 10% of all the calculations at Exxon have to be hand done. It was horrible. It was, it was, it was, it was I couldn't wait to leave. <laughs> but uh, then I got into project management, which was a blessing. Yeah. Because uh, my project, my lead project manager, still a, a very, good man uh and very um someone i look up to today but he taught me a lot about contracts legal terms you know reading things invoicing and i run my company how he taught me to run our projects yeah pretty much and then you know that led to successful projects under him mm-hmm. to kinder morgan calling getting a oil and gas job back home in texas yeah and that's why we bought this house and where we live today was not for boats or anything, but I worked for Kinder Morgan for like six years as a senior project manager for them. And that's when you 
you know, a lot of people, even this new composite project we're working on, and we're sinking a lot, of, we're not sinking a lot of money, let's don't say that word. So we're putting a lot <laughs> we'll of money into this project, yeah. And uh, people are like, dude, you're not scared? And some of the projects that Kendra Morgan handed this piece of paper over to me that they did research on, yeah. but they're like, all right, Brian, you got nine months to build this XXX million dollar project, and you're you're the guy that's calling all the shots. Yeah. You know, you're in charge if someone dies or gets hurt on this, you know. You just you just so, kind of get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that job, money, well, in so. the job before that, the risk involved and who I was representing and the amount of money and the amount of people working on my projects is, uh, it builds character pretty fast. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I get that. Yeah. So, um, but that taught me a lot of business stuff and reading contracts and all that stuff. And then, yeah, we moved here and just, you meet this one guy and it's, it's a weird story, but just my neighbor, two houses down, he doesn't live here anymore. And he had a really awesome fab shop. He saw the production one-off that I, that I did. Yeah. And uh, he's like, man, you gotta come look at my shop. So we rode down there one weekend and it's an awesome shop. And, they built a few work boats and they built, you know, oil field equipment. Mm -hmm. And um, I told him my idea, this aluminum know-how whole slap boat. Yeah. And he's like, dude, we're kind of slow. I got guys that can draw 3D, draw it up 2D. We'll draw it up 3D. We'll do takeoffs and let's build the first one. Try it out. If it works, how many things you can build a year? And I told him. <laughs> so he's doing the math. Of course, he had a business partner to answer to also, which is why they didn't, after it, it worked, um, the oil industry really took off so yeah. they they didn't need this 20 or 40 foot area of their shop taken up to build a boat right when they could go make three to four times the yeah. amount of money they'd make you know me Working paying oil yeah, yeah yeah and that's just you know that's that industry but it was a that was a blessing too because then we were forced to make our own our i got my own crew going yeah at least the shop and you know whatever and then it just kind of grew into sabine skiff the aluminum skiff company yeah which has got us where we are today and you know i'm i'm always a guy i'm not if you look at my personality if you ever do a personality test yeah i'm the entrepreneur i and growing up i wasn't but i was the youngest of four i was a baby everybody did everything for me not because i wanted them to they just did it because i was the little guy you yeah. know I never fixed the tire on my bicycle. I never put the, I learned how to put the chain on, but my brothers, I'd be like, man, my tire's flat. They would have it fixed before I'd go get some tools. But that's, you know, until I got out on my own, then I realized, even in college, I always wanted to do my own thing. Yeah. Um, this It's funny. I, I was a little kid. I always used to think when I was on the ranch, like, I always wanted to invent something. Yeah. And we got stuck one time. We had, to, my dad had his Willis Jeep that we'd drive around the ranch. It was our personal Jeep, but we'd go hunt with it. And one time we got stuck and he, he always told us where we were, you, the, the Jeep had a winch on the front. Mm -hmm. He said, you better point that winch to either a fence post or a tree, or you're gonna be stuck here a while, or you'll have to you know mess the Jeep up pulling around. Yeah. And I was like, why can't we build an anchor? Yeah. And I come up in my head, what if you had this little anchor to put oh, a winch on out. and it pulled in? And about two or three years later, I'm still on a ranch. I don't know how old was then. And I'm flipping through this magazine. There's the anchor right there. And I was like, dude, someone else had this freaking <laughs> same idea. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's how I thought. I always was like a problem solver. Yeah. And I was, I always, my mind, and I get on my guys at work, 
like why did you just walk by this to go get that or put two boats in at a time so you can go fuel tank fuel tank polling pole, pole, pole yeah. platform polling platform you know trim test trim test. you always have these tools out just keep just go, go six foot over and do yeah do the next one i try to drill it in her head think like that yeah although i'm paying you by the hour <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, i'm trying to get this production done, going done, but done. so that is that's what really intrigued me in project managing versus the design part mm-hmm. you know i love designing boats yeah i kind of like building them and seeing them in the production part yeah i noticed really that, intrigues me more i noticed that today like when we were walking through the shop i kept like, telling you let's go let's go to the next one <laughs> well yeah and then well though no, no just like we know you're sitting there talking and then you look over and the guys are kind of looking at something and you just immediately jump in there and you're like, look, this is, we're going to do this. It's going to be like yeah. this. We'll, we'll move it around. And I, don't know, I definitely yeah. picked up on that. Yeah. I don't, I don't like idle hands. Yeah. You know? But, yeah. um, and luckily it met my fab shop guys. Are, it's cranking I mean, them out. They're the hardest working guys that I know. Yeah. It's, it's they're awesome. They're, um, and the highest paid in the company. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. I still, and I tell the, uh, more than I make, I tell my lead guy every year, you're still, now next year or two, I might, yeah. I might beat him. <laughs> but to this day, he's still the highest paid employee of the company. And uh, he's reminded that all the time, but he works hard. And uh, they have yet to come to a Christmas party. They have yet to take off because they want to work. They just like build them. Yeah. They don't use them. They don't fish them. They don't fish them at all? The first time, and I almost cried, the first time one of them got, I actually did. The first time all three of them and their dad got in the boat was I saved them from a flood. Oh, that's uh, that's that video of you running up the highway. Yeah. Yeah. And I drove into our shop, had about four foot of water in it. Luckily, they hung the welders from the ceiling. Cool. All the drills, everything else was underwater, yeah. but uh, save the welders and you know the water drain. We just kept building the boats. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we drove into the shop. That I picked the- them up on the side of the road, and they were like, "Man, this is the first time we rode in Sabine." No way. And some have been working for me for four years. I was like, uh, I felt bad, but they don't. You you can ask them. Yeah. You know, they just they have their own hobbies and yeah, yeah, whatever. That's also a blessing too. Anybody watching this. Don't hire fishermen or hunt, hunters to work for you. Because <laughs> that's what they're going to go do yeah. all the time. Oh, Duck hunters are the worst. Yeah. Worst employees. No, <laughs> no, one of the things you mentioned oh. that I that I definitely want to attest to from someone that's fished uh, Sabine for way too many days is, you know, you mentioned that there's no hole slap. And that was one of the first things when I started looking at getting a skiff. Um, it, honestly, when I started looking at buying a skiff, I really only looked at Sabine's because I knew with the aluminum that I could, you know, push it a little bit. I could do Sabine stuff. <laughs> I could do Sabine stuff. But that, um, man, I've been on a few different skiffs now, and it's still the Sabine's still the yeah. quietest one I've ever been on. It's it's kind of cool. I had a, a, a son... And father, father, son came in yesterday to buy a push pole from him, and they had another brand boat, and uh, they started talking about the aluminum stuff. And he's like, "Well, so what are you deading it with?" I'm like nothing. And he looked at me, and I'm not picking on this guy, but he looked at me like I was lying to him. And I was like, "No, it has nothing to do with foam or whatever. 
it's all in the shape and it's all in hole entry and things like that. Still, which still also like kind of blows my mind that like that hasn't really become an adopted industry wide thing, you know, that that just everybody's kind of caught on to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm thanking them like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no, but no, there's, there's so, and I, I, I spent a week with Chris Moore, John, and his wife and their sailboat in uh, Antigua, Kaler and I, lucky enough through the internet, Facebook friends, and I was, I was actually rebuilding a old a whip ray, like a '99 whip ray that we found in New Orleans. Yeah, is like the cor- It's like the '67 Corvette find. You, know, yeah, a, yeah. A barn, oh, yeah. I know. I found this barn find '99 whip ray <laughs> under about six foot of trash at this guy's house. But it was that boat was cursed. It had so many holes in it, so many cracks, and he Cajunized it. I mean, it was just from, you know, I was, the guy fly fish. But it, anyway, so uh, because I was working on this Hell's Bay, and I, I I asked Chris a few questions about the whole ID number, yeah. and what year, and you know this transom, do I need to build it thicker or whatever? And uh, you're about to run out of time with that. Yeah. We got to bend it, but. Uh, so the but the one thing he stressed on this he's like man i don't see how guys just haven't got this yet and i want to name some company names right now but i'm glad they don't have it figured out yeah but maybe they don't i mean a lot of people in a lot of parts of the country they're not worried about hole slab they have open water so they're building open water skiffs that are open water skiffs and they're not worried about hole slab so there's a lot of there's more companies and a lot of them build skiffs. Yeah, are building. They're trying to build their bay boats with no hull slab, which, which is a great which idea. Make, which yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, excuse me, it's awesome. They they should be doing that. But um, you need it here. Yeah, I mean it helps. It's it helps the most thing. So it's much. annoying to just listen to. It really is just like <laughs> well, yeah. When I'm on a boat, when I'm on a skiff and I start hearing it, I'm just basically thinking to myself like, well, here goes all the redfish. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's yes, it's. It helps fishing. It helps stealthiness, uh, clear water, spooky fish that are already high pressure. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's yep. there's fish that are so dumb in certain places because of low pressure water color that it don't matter if you roll in and your grandpa's John boat or up underneath the boat. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, when it's you got to watch, you know, your pressure waves and you have to watch all that because every oh, yeah. boat's going to push them. So let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about what you got. What you got going on. <laughs> so long term, like let's, the carbon skiff. Let's talk about the carbon yeah, skiff. So, because I'm excited. Yeah. About so this thing. evidently, you know, my life and my career has this five to six term year term, and I'm on year six. But <laughs> now um, we're not doing anything different from the aluminum boats. So we started with a versatile. Um, the, the first aluminum skiff we built, we only built one that that exact size yeah and then um a, a guy here in texas wanted he just from a friend of a friend knew i had this boat built mm-hmm. and he wanted a guide uh to be you know he wanted a boat to guide in right not a guide boat but uh or not a guide model but yeah. um so we made that first aluminum no hole slap boat that we built with my neighbor we widened it a little bit and we lengthened it and we knew we were going to run more of the Tahatsu uh, 40, 50, 60 holes. Yep. So that bottom and side design, his had a, a one-off deck design. Um, but that was based off running, you know, the, the Tahatsu 
40-50-60 at the time didn't have the 60 and that was the versatile bottom had to reverse chines everything ran good and then we started production with the production the the deck that we still have to this day yep uh, changed a little bit of layout and stuff here and there, but for the most part, you know, that first production skiff hasn't changed in six years. We made, once we had the versatile up and going, we made the micro. Yep. People want something a little simpler. Uh, Matt Lowe got the first one with the tunnel hole, took that it down was the south. First, one? first mic, nope, sorry. He got the second one. Oh. The first one we took from Austin to the coast. Yeah. That was a non tunnel, no jack plate. Um, I rigged a jet with a with a homemade jack plate and a plug-in a warren winch plug to yeah. plug the electrical yeah and i used a um, a winch system to you skin deer and hogs on the back of your truck mm -hmm. that goes into your deal so in 15 minutes i could go from an outboard to a jet no solo yeah. if i had help i could do it in like five minutes and uh because you'd lift it up you'd swing it in grab the new motor swing it around the other way put it on the boat four bolts with the impact yeah yeah and plug it in good to go a little bit of silicone but anyway so that was the first one that we took from austin to the coast and so that was the micro but i learned from the micro because we had i had orlock risers on it yeah. which were expensive to build the micro had less freeboard basically i was shaving weight yeah. where i could with being sabine strong and i always hashtag sabine sabine strong um i could make these boats lighter I mean, I could easily thin down the walls, thin down the bottom, and but my guys would, my clients and you would just tear them up. <laughs> yeah, we would. I mean, they're they're to the point where they're almost tearing up, you know, a seven hundred pound versatile hole or a yeah. five hundred, and they're a little less than that. I just round up. No, but was... um, you know, the the first micro was like three seventy three. Now it's they're like I mean, sorry, four seventy. 475 now they're like 490 ish yeah you know but anyway and the versatiles are like 675 to 690 hole only and uh but so we built the micro kind of learned from that trip wanted to row yeah and i was like man i need a river skiff no one in texas is building a poland skiff that because you have some cool rivers in texas i mean yeah the brazos there's dallas that has a lot of fly fishermen I'm not going to talk too much because I'm educating my com competition <laughs> of Texas market. But now you have a lot of places in Texas that have these rivers in their high populated cities. Yeah. But these people go to the coast. Right. Well, I came up with the river skiff. I haven't sold but like this many. Yeah. You know, but it's a su I mean, aluminum Poland skiff is already niche. Like yeah, to me, yeah. it's not even niche. It's super niche. Yeah. You know, a regular Poland skiff is niche. niche. An aluminum one is like a super niche. Well, then you go put a river skiff with oars on it, and yeah. then you can go to the coast. I mean, that's like just a super niche. So anyway, um, so we come out with the river skiff, and um, I love that boat. I mean, I would, I could take one of each boat, you know, and, and use them. Yeah. And then we just come out with the guide that we don't even, I ain't had time to put on the website. I've already sold as many guides as I had river skiffs, oh, really? you know. But uh, it, 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 we'll put it on the website before the uh, Houston Fishing Show this year. But that's been a good boat. So I kind of hit everywhere. I haven't built a V-Haul boat. Yeah. But I've had a handful of Louisiana people, uh, Louisiana customer, potential customers, yeah. that just want an aluminum V-Haul boat. But to me, when you take, you know, aluminum is good. People call me all the time. And I'm probably the worst salesman, but the best salesman for Sabine. 
But if they tell me, look, I just want to be shallow in this, and I'm like, well, this is our price of our boat, and we can go shallow. Yeah. Well, they're like, well, why would I get aluminum versus this, you know, the other material? It's like, well, you can beat it up. You know, if you have a, you know, you we, want your uh, kid to take it, and you want it, you know, you're scared they're going to beat the, you know, ding, ding the dock or hit rocks or no one let's be honest no one wants to run over oyster or whatever no but sometimes oyster sticks you know yeah. you're pulling in this much water yeah. and you have oyster clump that's this big and you, yeah <coughs> no we uh so with, that's where you know aluminum is, is better yeah. right yeah so anyway we, we built a guide model and we kind of have that going so i don't really think a v-hole boat is in the aluminum in my aluminum company's foresight like i almost did it one year and i probably would only build three of them yeah you know but um i love i so, love that flat bottom yeah i mean and it's weird it's and it's too so there's because of the reverse chines we don't have strakes a lot of people are like it's you know not gonna turn well or whatever and the thing that run you know let me run it if you don't believe it. <laughs> As um, I think I'm, me and Owen Gaylor probably, yeah, I can name a few other, you know, Richard Garner can, we can run these boats yeah. and, and really show what they can do. And all of us have been really good salesmen, but we're not doing anything different. We're not being crazy. Yeah. We just go and turn our boat in a bayou or whatever and they turn, you know. Yeah. And then they pull straight without the polling strakes, which technically are oh. running strikes in the boat no I, I can tell you right now I've, <coughs> i need to start i that boat like i mean the other thing that that we got here on the texas coast a lot is wind mm-hmm. and that boat will pull straight up so, side to the wind we're about to talk about a lightweight carbon fiber skiff. yeah with that said that's the bad part about a lightweight carbon fiber skiff. yeah the wind's going to catch that boat yeah, our micro versus other skiffs in its class size class. Yeah, it's heavier. It might be heavier by 150 pounds. It might be heavier by 200 pounds. If I build it down the road, which we will eventually do, yeah, it might be 200 pounds heavier than our composite micro. Yeah, and they catch wind more. Yeah, you know they are lighter to pull on one hand or into the wind or whatever. But so there is a benefit to a little bit heavier boat. Now because of our flat bottoms the way our holes are designed and the way they displace water mm-hmm. i think and this is just me it's not because i built them or designed them or whatever but i think they're some of the best polling skips out there as far as tracking straight and turning and things like that oh I'd... even with their weight being the weight they are yeah i mean know. with i mean with that don't get too mad like i i've gotten on some of those like smaller like micro skips and stuff and i like try to i'll go and push it like i will my boat and then almost fall off the back because mm-hmm. the boat moves yeah. you know completely differently just because because of the weight yeah. and i'm used i mean it, i think honestly with the weight like you get used to it and well, then you see what it like like you said all the a, benefits a versatile i mean if, if you look at the size of it yeah in the class you know the width the bottom width and the length if you truly weighed every boat out there I still think we're the top 25. Oh, yeah. Or at least top half as far as weight. Yeah. Uh, some of them are out there a lot heavier than you think. Yeah. And the ones that are super light or, you know, most of them are smaller. Yeah. You know, like our micro size and stuff like that. 
but that weight, you know, it helps you. It helps carry, you know, with a crosswind and things like that. But, you know, I have to build on that tough to hold together or people would just blow them up. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> like the other thing uh, that I've, I've noticed with mine um, that is that they're really well balanced. They're so that's a well good, balanced. you know, that's a good point. Cause I, I did not do a center of gravity study on a composite skiff. Yeah. Um, or any of our skiffs, but I've built enough skiffs that you know. Knew. Yeah. I mean, balancing a polling skiff is is it's like there's no one one what's the term i'm looking for it's not an end-all be-all situation yeah your buddy's heavier than my buddy yeah you're heavy you're you know probably not much but a little bit heavier than me so you kind of gotta that's why i didn't do a center of gravity it was like dude it's gonna be thrown off because xyz guide weighs 160 pounds and his client weighs 250 or 220 yeah center gravity study ain't gonna help anything except he might we might learn that you might need to move this back or whatever but you're gonna learn that when you pull the boat anyway yeah, yeah. if yeah. you if you feel it can fill a boat you know that cooler needs to move back six inches or hey dude your fly gear or the cooler you brought soft cooler put it on the back deck yeah or ma'am, don't sit on my back deck. Go sit on it. Don't sit on the front deck either. Sit right in the center of the boat. Or, you know, and that's where our guide skiffs, you know, we've, we've moved these coolers around enough and we kind of know, no, yeah. you know, where our fuel tank is fixed. And we're very few companies that put the battery, even on a center console boat, in the back. But we do that because our fuel tank's so far forward. Yeah. And to add a little bit. Yeah, it balances. Yeah. But if you're 150 and your buddies are 250, yeah you're sol but yeah <laughs> it's switch i mean you're gonna do this yeah you know i get the question all the time what's your boat draft my first response is well how big a boy are you because <laughs> if you're 150 or you're 250 then we're there's two different numbers and it's probably an inch or more different yeah how big are you how big are your friends and um that's just i'm sorry but you know i don't say that to hurt your feelings but if you're that big, oh yeah, it's gonna then make we, a we need to think about your building your boat to go a little bit lighter and things right. like that, you know? And um, so, yeah, balance is one thing that, I mean, I get, there's nothing I can do about it, but you put a power pole, well, that can throw off a little bit. Yeah. I you know, I mean, definitely. you can, with, with the boat empty and I drop it in the water to go test run, I can see it listing over. And that sucker might only weigh 15 pounds or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> getting getting dry throat, talking too much. <laughs> but but you can compensate that. You just scoot over in your polling platform like yeah. two inches. Um, our polling platforms aren't tiny. A lot of people compliment oh, on how big the I top love is. how so, big it is up there. You know, and you can move around. I'm, I'm, yeah. I have this little advisory board, I call them. So a couple guys, on, or a lot of guys on a group text that – they get to see a lot of things no one else sees and hears and get questions asked almost daily. Should I do this? What do you think? And I was about to ask them another day. And I was like, well, I got so much time because we're still making molds. Yeah. But like, should I shrink down the carbon's polling platform? Because hmm. the micro is smaller. Yeah. And we use the micro for the river because the deck's narrower. Yeah. And if you didn't, it would look weird. Yeah, it'd be way out there. So anyway, and the guide and the versatile has the same polling platform. Um, top and I'm yeah. showing this you know, yeah, yeah. Like, same size they go this way but um, 
you know, do we need to narrow it? You know, save a little bit of weight or whatever. But that's something we'll figure that out down the road. But yeah, you know, a lot of forethought into that, how we rig them. And, yeah. You know, balance wise. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. All right. So we got a little, yeah. little in the weeds. Um, this carbon, this carbon boat that you're building. Yeah. It's so it's like a dream of yours, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been working on this technically since I was, you know, my early 20s. Yeah. Um, back then, Carbon was available, but the thicknesses and the weights that we need to make these boats now, mm-hmm. they weren't really that available back then, at least yeah. that I found. So making a carbon fiber, you know, twenty carbon fiber skiff 25 years ago, pretty much would have weighed close to the same weight as a fiberglass boat because of thicknesses of materials. Now, they're, I mean, I'm sure you could have found some. Unidirectionals were there. There's harder to get. But today, you know, about two or three years, you know, the aluminum skiff market and our production was, we were there. We were about as big as I wanted to take it with the crew we had because mm-hmm. to go an extra step was like so much more bigger shop right. or bigger headache. I was like, let's just playing this one out. We'll grow the company by starting a composite division. Yeah. And I was going to do a, a fiberglass boat. I mean, I was... I'm confident even with the carbon fiber hull design that we have now, and I'm just going to call it the carbon fiber boat because it is, it will be, but um, it would only be like 550 pound boat and under 600 pounds. But then if you can use some carbon fiber in some places to take away some weight, you know, you could maybe shrink that down. Well, then I talked to a lot of my customers and they're like, dude, you're already there with Sabine. You're already a high-end aluminum boat, let's be yeah. honest. But you do the, you know, some of the best rigging. You do all the right stuff. Let's just let's just go let's just go there. Just keep going high. Let's just go to yeah. the best materials we can. Yeah. Why not? That's when I decided let's just use epoxy. Let's go full carbon fiber. No fiberglass in the boat. And just let's just do go, everything go we can do way. yeah let's yeah. go all the way, go all the you way know? is it going to cost another 10 20 grand more probably so yeah but when i told that to my customers all they said was okay yeah like, <laughs> I don't care. you know yeah. and it sucks <laughs> it sucks because the cost part of it i don't want to keep wanting to use that word but the cost part of it isn't cool because uh i'm if i didn't build these boats i couldn't afford them yeah I mean, man, I was where Kendall Morgan I could have. Yeah. But, um, yeah, even it kind of hurt me back when I was 25 because I was building these pretty much going to be some high-end polling skiffs that I couldn't even afford at the time. So that's it's kind of the catch-22 of taking it to that extreme. Yeah. But even with my client suggestions and some of my vendors and friends are just like, just, just do it. Just go the extra step, stay on top you know oh, yeah. with your game and with your company and let's no i mean that's that's like the, that. the that's like the this like I'll, I'll get asked a lot of guy, by guys like you know they'll, they'll ask me how much my skiff costs and they'll be like oh well i can go buy this Two other other, this other right and i'll be like well yeah. you're gonna get exactly what you pay for yeah and that i went down that this weekend with a, a gentleman i hunted with and yeah it just it is what it is i'm not getting rich making these boats yeah I'm not rich to begin with. My parents aren't rich. I graduated college and my starting salary 
that year was more than both of my parents made together that same year. So I, I'm not a rich family. I don't yeah. have a trust fund. I don't have any money. My, all the money I've made in my life, I've made it. Yeah. Um, so with that said, you know, it just, anyway, yeah, that's just where I want to yeah. go with it. And uh, I'm not overcharging. My point is I'm not overcharging for this. My margins aren't just stupid. No. You know, I still have to sell in-house. I can't even do dealerships because I can't afford that, mar- yeah. you know, markup from a dealership. So it's just, it's a lot of a lot of labor in our aluminum boats. The materials cost way more than most people think. Way more than your, I call them Arkansas John boats that, you know, come off a big spool of aluminum, you know, and then they form them. And, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of love in each boat. There's grind yeah. marks and there's sand marks on it. <laughs> You're going to have to deal are. with it. But we have to do certain things to get this boat to shape, right. you know, the shape it takes to have no hull slap. And then, that's when we took the rigging to the next level yeah because you already had to charge that much and then the painting to the next level then the trailers you have to do that in my opinion to make money yeah otherwise if i if i made whatever five ten grand or could charge five to ten grand less i'm just a hobby yeah you I know? Guess you, so yeah. you had to do i had to do the best rigging and all that in my aluminum boats right which then is going to go into the carbon fiber kind of part of division of the company. I can't wait for those things. Yeah, You know, one of the things that, that I wanted to comment on um, that I tell, tell people when they ask me about them is, um, you know, you're talking a little bit about the love and dedication that goes into all these skiffs. And that's Keep going. one of the things that, I, that I've noticed um, is you build these things exactly how each customer needs them. And then you've got the insight too to, you know, know when it's like, Hey, I understand what you want, but that's not, you know, that's not going to work. We're not going to do do. that. (laughs) Yeah. We're not. So, you know, there's, I have a couple golden rules. The first golden rule of Sabine's gifts, no Sabine's gift will ever be painted yellow. I got yeah. hurt. I actually was, there's one customer. He said, Brian, he could say, I want a yellow boat. I was like, sir, I'm sorry. And I, it was it. probably after he gave his deposit. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. If, if it's before, I still tell him. I don't care. But I'm like, we will not do a yellow boat. He's like, I have a custom yellow boat and I want this to match. And I was like, okay, if you have a 61 foot Viking mm-hmm. that this is going to go on. Yeah. We're probably going to paint the uh, Sabine skiff yellow. <laughs> That's like probably bending the rules or, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're a celebrity or someone and I get to go hang out with you, might paint your boat yellow, but yeah. probably not, you know, but, um, yeah, what's the, uh, what's the, uh, Margaritaville, the singer, I'm going blank on that. Jimmy Buffett. If you're Jimmy Buffett, oh, we yeah. might paint we'll your paint. Sabine yellow. I don't know, <laughs> but no, just kidding. Um, we won't paint us Jimmy Buffett Sabine yellow either, but, uh, yeah, that's, there's some things where you have to cut people off. Because it's going outside of either being a bowling skiff or, yeah. you know, outside of my um, design criteria. You know, I don't float boxes. Horrible. You yeah. know. Um, anyway. No, no. I just think yeah, that. Just it, things that, like that. I, I, think won't do. I just think it's really cool that, like, you know, 
so many of those skiffs out there. Just you get what you what you get, and these things and the, are yeah, the, the carbon skiff custom. because it's out of mold. Yeah, right. That's the bad right. part is you know you're gonna have a choice of consoles. Yeah, yeah, it's about in some colors, you know. <laughs> but we can't go, you know, unless you want to pay for a one off whatever yeah a deck you know i'll take your 50 grand and we'll go build you a one-off deck and you know (laughs) go do what you want to do but but with aluminum that's what is cool you know the startup wasn't uh it wasn't a lot yeah because you had to welder and some dudes you know yeah but then when you jigged it out and you know there was some things there's a lot of stuff to figure out but uh to get as efficient as we are today but um yeah that's what's that's really what's fun with aluminum is how quick me and brandon my lead shop guy yeah i can draw everything up on cad take it to him in literally whatever let's just say two weeks yeah a week it's more like two to three uh let's just say two to three weeks me and him can have a brand new design out like that quick we're in composites you're not going to even cold molding something's not going to it's because no. of cure times and right, whatever right. you have to wait yeah you where me through it's that a so little bit today. it's so fun to it's fun to deal with my customers you know i want this console to do a certain thing right for my kids or this and storage and some storage things we'll do well another golden rule we don't do live wells <laughs> and every time i ask someone they're like i want a live well in my boat i'm like okay what for well, I take my grandkid fishings, or I take my son fishing a couple, you know, a few times a year. Yeah. Because, anyway, and I was like, okay, so there's 52 weeks in a year. Three or four of those are holidays, birthdays, and family events, maybe six of them. Yeah. So you fish, well, you fish one time a month. Two, you know, you start doing this math. I was like, so how, basically what I'm getting at is how often do you take your How often son do you need that thing? With, or whatever, you know, whoever it is with shrimp. And they're like... Well, how'd you think about it? I don't know. <laughs> Last year, I did it three times. Yeah. I just take a bucket. Why Get Why pay little, for it? One of those little battery-powered aerators on the side. Exactly. Good to go. Why pay for it? Why <laughs> carry it when you don't need it? Right. That's why we make all our trolling motors removable and batteries removable. Yeah. If you're not you needing it, leave that junk at home and... Not junk. I like a trolling motor every now and yeah, then for yeah. jacks. And no, night, been, I mean, we might go night fishing tonight. I've We're going to be using the trolling motor been, down the canals. Trust me, I've been thinking about a little bit about talking to you about putting one on mine so I can do a little yeah. bit more. Well, at night, in certain circumstances, right. we talked about tarping and different stuff where you live in other it. areas of Texas that it's good to, to have that propulsion. Yeah. But but anyway, I digress. You know, about the live well, the carbon won't have it. We will never have one. Yeah. Um, and I don't put them in our aluminum boats. And I'm not being rude uh, to the bait fishermen. I'm not some uppity fly fisherman yeah. guy. It's just that these days with lures and our clientele, and I get it, you want to take your kid or yourself out or whatever and throw whatever bait you want to throw. But when you really talk to them, they don't use it that much. Or tournament. They're like, I'm going to use this. I'm going to tournament fish with my Versatile. But they have, you know, two or three other boats or another boat. I'm like, so how many times are you really going to fish <laughs> once like just put a cooler in there with you know oxygen yeah to keep your redfish alive and whatever so yeah yeah, yeah so uh you're talking a little bit about how efficient your your shop is and i mean i saw it firsthand today definitely walking through there but you've got you've got you started having some issues right yeah well but not really <clears throat> not really shop related so much yeah we're gonna get into 
Texas freeze. Yeah. Do you remember the date? It was like I was at I, I wasn't here. So we had a freeze last year. We got into year two of COVID. Yeah. Year one of COVID, the only delays was everybody was at home because no one knew what was going on. Yeah. And then then people started getting sick. Then you had work delays, right? But of so we just finished twenty one. Yeah. So twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't even know when COVID started. In twenty twenty, during COVID, the big the only delays I had were customers putting their deposit down. And they were only delayed like they wanted the boat, they had the money, mm-hmm. but they're like, I don't know if my job's gonna shut down. Oh I don't yeah. know and some of them were doctors are like, I don't know if I'm gonna get sick and I can't work. You know, so it was more delays on that. Then once about the second or third month of COVID hit, everybody, well, they either got sick or they didn't get sick or everybody's kind of learning about it. And sales were made. And then you stepped into, well, you can't go out of the country. You can't do this. So everybody's spending money in the U.S., oh, which yeah. is really cool for the U.S. economy. Yeah. Uh, whether you build boats or whatever. But everybody started hunting, fishing, camping not working you know no, all this yeah. stuff oh no there's and um so then so everybody flooded to the marine industry the camping industry it's just outdoor industry right um and because you really couldn't do much anything else and uh so it's good but it drew a lot of assets away that we'd normally were easy to buy yeah everybody's busy yep um you had the government paying people for whatever reason, but most people could make, the labor force could make more money sitting at home getting paid by yep. the government than they could at work. Yeah, I saw it in my field. I'm just gonna say it, and it's true. And a lot of my vendors, we're, we're behind from the carbon because they lost a lot of, we're looking to see if Kayla's giving an eyeball. Yeah, she started looking over yeah. here. <laughs> and I mean, it is what it is, but a lot of my vendors were losing employers, employees. Yeah couldn't get work done now none of my employees left we were just we're building as fast as we can go and um but then we hit the freeze last year and then your big covid delays i think came in 2022 because of 2021 yeah and sickness and the handout whatever it is covid relief um you had uh fact factories worldwide were either shut down like months at a time, sometimes a month because of COVID. Yeah. Someone got sick, they would just shut the whole place down. Right. You know, or whatever. And overseas, you know, a lot of our stainless steel, marine stainless steel pop-up pleats and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's made overseas. Uh, some outboard motors, or majority of them, other than some uh, Mercury's, are, or some of them, Mercury's are still made in the U.S. Uh, some are overseas. But, you know, you started having those issues, but then you had the Texas freeze, the Texas freeze hurt me with raw aluminum because the raw aluminum was actually made in the U.S. You know, the, the plate and stuff, right. foundries and everything else was getting shut down. Not only was the aluminum getting hurt, then all your refineries that made uh, either resin materials or plastic materials. So your, you know, plastic companies started getting behind resin, chip, chip, you know, anyway. And then the ports. They're all, know, yeah. California ports still you know, having some issues, but all of that just, it made 2022 so hard to build a skiff. I was, just, I hated life for 2021. You mean 
Yes, last sorry. Year. We're 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah 2021. Sorry. The, <laughs> the delays, you know, all the COVID from 2020 kind of, it, it just, it boomed in 22. Right. The, the bomb went off, sorry, in 2021. Yeah, yeah. Last year. Yeah. To make it so weird. hard to build a boat, you know, third and fourth quarter last year, material prices were going up. Everything, everything was going up. All my vendors have went up 15 to 100%. And it's just, and that's, it's just crazy. But every time it happened, I either have to call my customers and I could forecast, you know, cause I just did that with project management. I right. can forecast anything. I can always have a long lead item, but there was items that I could buy on Monday and have on Wednesday that, that couldn't. it took eight weeks to get that guy or that item or whatever. So, you know, the longest delay I had on getting a boat delivered, I think was because of maroon pigment because of the red yeah it delayed a customer's boat like eight weeks Jeez. just the powder coat so you couldn't get and it then in. you know then it went to pop-up cleats then it went to the eddie coolers then it went to motors and it went to everything aluminum you know jack plates the power poles the, everything just and it wasn't you know like i said the it wasn't frustrating because i couldn't manage it it was frustrating because my vendors couldn't manage it and they have so many customers, they could not notify me right. that, hey, this you know used to be a four-week lead time. It's now 12 or 20 so you couldn't, they, weeks. you weren't getting or, a heads up that you needed yeah. to start putting and ahead. So you can't, I mean, because I'm sold out. Say, Let's just say I had a year backlog. Yeah. Well, then that's what I started doing. Tahatsu has about a, whatever, let's just say a year. They don't have a year, but whatever year order of motors yeah this month i need these two this month i need these two and then they had some issues so then i had to notify those customers well we punted and went to some mercuries and yeah that's not fun when you have my time is spent while i'm getting this carbon project going yeah my <laughs> time my valuable it. time that you know was just running this company was spent managing issues and warehousing stuff i mean i've, I've warehoused I warehouse way more stuff now than I used to. I yeah. mean, you saw how much motors we had, how many motors we have yeah. and parts and stuff that you just, you could order them on Monday and I'd have them on Thursday or order them on Monday one week, have it on Tuesday the next week. No, I remember, so, I remember when I, I mean, I picked my skip up, <coughs> it was May, May or June of 2020, I think. And yeah, that workshop definitely looked a lot different back then than it mm -hmm. does now. And yeah, you, we I mean, we, like I said, we we shot a video today and we walked through, and it's just you got parts all you know, over the place. It's it's organized. I mean, if it was easy, oh yeah, let me be honest, I'd be bored. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's it's made it challenging. It's made it's it, it made it it has made it fun. Um, but every company that I dealt with. And some companies are just now having their delays, just yeah. recently. After yeah. all these years, or all these years, all these months, all these months, they're just now. Yeah, they're just into. now seeing it. So it's just a new thing to the point of, you know, some of these major parts that I have on my boats, pre-drilled. You know, things I've used for the past six years, and they're telling me we might not be able to get these to you indefinitely. You know, and that's kind of scary. Yeah, that's. Not I mean, the jolt. And every Especially time, I, you know, yeah. So my aluminum vendors, I have such a good 
one thing I wanted to, to mention with you and other people listening, other entrepreneurs or business owners or future business owners, some you could learn from all of this is, um, can you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Is, you know, even procurement managers out there, if you're listening, <laughs> I always went round and round with those at, at Kinder Morgan because they made us bid, you know, three things. Yeah. Three, you know, three companies, you know, to buy this. And that's good to keep everybody honest, right? But you better have preferred vendors and you better have relationships with all them to, guys to you're using. Because yeah. right now there's some sales reps, major, major companies. I mean, these are worldwide companies and I text their personal number. Just and to, I, But I have that relationship with them yeah. and they keep, keep my order you. on their wall of their office. You know, and I just did that over time. So, you know, I built that relationship over time. Right, right. But if I didn't have that relationship, they'd probably tell me, pound sand. Who are you? Yeah. And I either punt to a less valuable or less productive outboard or jack plate or whatever part, aluminum or whatever. And then my product starts losing its, yep. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, whatever. It's... it's um, what am I looking for? Value. Performance, performance for, yeah, or, or value or yeah. whatever, you know, but yeah, having those good vendors in your, not in your back pocket, but that you're always using. That you're always talking and, to. And yeah. yeah, get them preferred vendors set up, procurement managers Yeah, <laughs> and keep them happy, you know? Yeah. Not a time. Uh, I mean, it just, I mean, imagine through all of this, if, if the people who are always pricks to their vendors oh, are man, probably having head getting parts right now Yeah. of anything. No, I, I mean, yeah. I've seen that even in, in the industry that I work full time in where we, you know, we went from getting stuff fairly regularly to, you know, geez, I think well, the, it's been a while since, you know, some of the stuff we need and takes a long time the, for us to get it. So the we haven't really dumped into the carbon skiff, but, you know, yeah. that boat. You know, I'm yeah, I'm losing revenue every month and it's not going right. Um, I finally just swallowed it. Yeah. And it's going to happen when it happens. Yeah. I have a couple I have a couple excited customers that are just looking forward to it. Yeah. You know, that they don't bother me, but they want, hey, well, what's the update this week? They're ready to see and it. And then they give me a, you know, a sloth emoji, Owen. <laughs> like, this is going too slow. Let's go. You just need to put them to but, work. Just tell Owen he's going to start building But the, it. the dude's just excited. You know, know. I mean, why, oh, I why would you not be, you know? Yeah. And I am excited. But I've stopped having panic nightmares. You know, yeah. I've stopped waking up. I think about it all the time. Yeah. I wake up, you know, in the middle of the night just – and I did this when I was in my projects. Um, I would just – I dove into them so deep. I'd tell my wife, like – I'm about to start a new project. It's, you know, and I'm in, I live it. I wake up in the morning. I start work when I wake up. Yeah. Not in the shower. Now I have taken my phone in the shower and answered <laughs> emails and text messages, but from using the restroom to getting in my truck and don't text and drive, but the hour, I always drove about an hour to work. Yeah. Just, I just happened to live that far away. I loved it. I worked all the way. My admin would always go in before me. Yeah. So I would get her and what her day was, if it was a her or he or whatever. And I would call my construction manager or superintendent if I was working on a construction job, get him, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yes, this is what we need to be doing for production reasons. 
And then when I showed up to work, did that. And then I would work on my way home. Yeah. And I've had some of my vendors, they're like, dude, other than my wife, I talk to you more than anybody. <laughs> yeah, but you're it's good the, to have those Well, and you're the first and the last guy I talk to every day. <laughs> but that that's how I manage my construction projects and, you know, was fairly successful or really successful with yeah. them. And then it's the same way with the Skiff Company. Um you know, Dylan or Brandon and them guys are the first ones I talk to, you know. Yeah. What are you doing today or this? You know, how'd y'all do? If I'm working on some other, you know, on one shop to the other, or you know, because I can't be, you know. Everywhere. Yeah. The, I mean, the shop, we have a clean rig shop. You have the dirty aluminum shop. <laughs> and then we're going to have a, you know, you can't put them all in one shop. Right. Be dust flying everywhere or yeah. whatever. But. All right. So we talked a little bit about building the company, building boats, carbon boats. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that, like when I, when I, one of the things that really drew me to Sabine, you know, being aluminum, being able to go pretty much wherever you want. And I think that's one of the things that you've done with your own skiffs is you guys have done some pretty cool, pretty cool yeah. trips. I want to talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah, we'll have some cool ones coming up in the near future. Yeah. But yeah. So, you know that first one that first one what what did you guys you guys put the boat in in austin yeah so i kind of got this idea late at night yeah when that's when all the good ideas start of course it's like um i want to do something different you know a vacation you know done different things and whatever you get to that point in life you just kind of want to do, do something crazy yeah and um but i want to do it in a boat you know a fish it in a sabine or not really for publicity but that's what i did i just fished you know? yeah yeah that was kind of a big hobby of mine i mean i hunted a little bit but not as hard as i hunt now now that i have fisher but um yeah we just built the first micro and uh i come up with this idea it was like let's let's go from austin all the way down the colorado river and mm-hmm. dump out you know in matagorda bay and i text a buddy of mine and uh He's like, dude, I think this is doable. What do you think? He's like, well, if you need someone, I'll go. And I texted him because he was more into rowing at a raft yeah. and more freshwater stuff. And uh, and I knew there were some dams in the Colorado River just because where I grew up, you know, mm-hmm. li- uh, living in Columbus. And, you know, the branch that my dad managed had land on the river and ran John boats up and down. And I knew with the Garwood Dam and some other stuff. So we started doing research seeing how far north we could start closer to, you know how far could we get to austin because they have some really big dams yeah and then um what dams do we have downstream and then how fast does a boat move or for you know how many river miles is it yeah yeah how fast you know we could only take a week off of work because we both had full-time jobs even though i owned sabine and was managing it at the time i was still working for kinder morgan you know yeah. 40 hours a week with them oh, i didn't realize that i did that for no i yeah i just quit them like or stopped that two years ago oh really yeah so the first three or four years i was working part-time yeah you know <laughs> work full-time working part-time <laughs> for sabine and um anyway but uh so i would take a week off of my full-time job and take this skiff down this river and that's when we made the jet motor i said earlier we did the two motors and we could yeah. quick connect and tatsu helped me with that and um made orlock risers for that skiff and we dumped it in and i forget the name the the number of the the road it's nine something south of ladybird dam in a first major road and we could have ran upstream to the weir 
but we didn't. I kind of regret that now that I know that river better to really start as far as we could north. Yeah. But anyway, we started just south of uh, Lady Bird Dam in Austin. And uh, we had, you know, seven days to do this. We had a time frame. I had stops because I had, you know, just people I knew. One of them was a high school buddy that yeah. bought land on the river that one night we stayed with him. Uh, we made friends with the LCRA guys. They let us stay, you know, at their camp uh, one night and, you know, just different places. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was one of the most peaceful trips. It kind of took me back to my freshwater days because mm-hmm. I saw water fish so much yeah. that that forced me to, you know, for a week of freshwater fishing. Of course, horrible weather. It was, it was freezing north of Dallas when we left, or north of Austin when we left Austin in April. And uh, which is just, it seems like since that year, that's the climate has been like that. But uh, so fishing was horrible because of the cold weather. And uh, that was fun. I mean, we we traveled down. We had one, we had some motor issues around uh, Smithville with the jet. The uh, ECU threw some codes and just, it, the jet, uh, the ECU just kind of fried itself. Yeah. But it was cool relationship I had with Tahatsu. I'm on the river <laughs> floating with this motor that's throwing a beat, a code. Yeah. It would just, it would limp mode. It wouldn't get out of limp mode. And, you know, I'm talking to the tech who knows, all the Tahatsu knows we're doing this trip. Yeah. And they're following us. Um, and I say all of them, the, the main managers and my sales rep and all these, you know. And um, LCRA guy, the head that was, I mean, he's head of the whole river management system because they're almost like game wardens yeah and he had my cell phone i shared my location with him and my father and my wife yeah my father was kind of like my um driver you know he had the trailers at his you know at my parents house but if i needed him he would come say yeah so every day he's seeing my location and whatever and i'm building up to when we sank it but the skiff but um but yeah, I mean, I called to Hatsu and like, man, it's throwing his code, yada, yada, yada. And we tried to work through, you know, it's like playing a Nintendo game with the yeah. key, you know, select start, B-A-B-A, left, right, left, right, <laughs> you know, and I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm like, it's still, unplug this, Brian, get into the cowling and do this. And we did everything we could. So we just kind of limped down, called my dad and said, you know, tomorrow morning, meet us at Smithville Boat Ramp. Uh, we plan to sleep on one of the islands. Yeah. It's, it's legal to sleep as long as it's an island. Yeah. And it's kind of legal to sleep on the shoreline, but it has to be mean yeah, flood yeah, and people yeah. on the Colorado River get real antsy. Yeah. So we found an island. We camped. We had a ball that night camping. I swear somebody was throwing rocks in the river at 2 a.m. that one night, but uh, I was spooked because a helicopter kept I thought he was searching for a prison inmate. I was just oh, I was spooked goodness. out that night. We was <laughs> helicopter kept searching us with the spotlight. Right on you guys. Like around the river. Yeah. Now yeah. there is an airport, Smithfield, they're close. Yeah. But why would a helicopter in the middle of the country <laughs> you know, anyway? And John, who's, you know, ex military, sleeping with a you know, a gun on him, he's like dead asleep he's like Brian, this is like I've slept through worse. Like, you know. <laughs> Just go to bed. Yeah, let's dude chill out. But uh, anyway, it was it was a cool night. We, you know, we cooked campfire night and all that stuff. Because other places, other times of the trip, we really stayed in people's homes. Yeah. You know? And um, cranked up that next morning, cooked herself breakfast, and John brought you know every day we brought way too much food. Yeah. Me and you talk about it. we yeah, brought we way too much that. food, way too many clothes way overpacked you know the boat was packed you know 250 pounds of stuff we probably should only had 50 pounds (laughs) 
and uh, we met my dad at the boat ramp and we switched motors now we took our time because we wanted to film we were trying to film as much stuff yeah I had a production company give me all these GoPros to film all this stuff and anyway um we changed the motors out to a prop and then we probably hit every rock between Smithville and Columbus I mean we bent the prop shaft one way we bent it the next way (laughs) that night we made it to LaGrange to my high school buddy's place he picked us up on his four-wheeler at the sandbar which was I mean that was cool I met him in kindergarten yeah I can remember the day I met this one of my best friends you know growing up and to do this trip when you're I don't know how old it was then 40 or 39 or 38 whatever and uh we go have dinner with him and his kids you know and just hang out at his place I took my prop to his shop his barn and like grinded it out because I mean it was dinged I think it's still prop was dinged up yeah tried to bend the prop shaft the next morning straighter 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 it didn't work but somewhere between LaGrange and Columbus I hit something else and actually bent it straight like because I mean it was wobbling so much it's like I'm gonna lose this lower unit yeah you know the bearings are just gonna go oh yeah but somewhere around Columbus like the vibration just went away well from Columbus down was pretty it was deep enough there were some places but deep enough where we could drift through those or not really hit anything but (coughs) I wish we had the jet because when we when we got to Garwood we tried to walk it down the dam and um we should have unloaded the boat. There's all kind of things we should have done, but the train we walked it down, you know, bow forward, transom downstream, and uh, it caught a rock. And we had about seven cameras going, yeah. And neither John and I ever looked at those cameras. The Still video, have it? I can't. Yeah. I think I deleted it. Kayler looked at it. She was like, "You stupid!" Because I jumped in the water to push the boat off. I could have been pinned and like, yeah, oh yeah, I dumb stuff. Yeah. Um, I had anxiety attacks about that for years. Not years, but a while. Yeah. Just because I, once she told me what she told me, and then I started thinking about it, about me dying, you know, almost about, died. About, Over about, a about the situation, yeah. But yeah, yeah. but it, it sank, pounding, pointing, bow up, to up, or upstream, or not really upstream, but up the bank. And, you know, I text Kayler. I think I called my dad just to let them know, because they all, they knew. My dad was like, don't, just pull out of the just boat go around it yeah yeah let's go around it bro i'm like i got this dude i can do this and um so he knew something was wrong because i'm you know i had moved my pins right on the side of the river too not yeah. in the river or whatever the lcra guy was in a meeting in austin and he knew after 30 minutes he's like brian i, I knew something was up so when i called him and text him you know pretty quick his first thing was is the boat pointed to a tree I'm like yeah it is he goes good I'll bring some come-alongs, and we can come along it out, you know, winch it up. Just drag it out, yeah. And uh, I was like, dude, just bring a boat from downstream. We'll just pull it out backwards. Because it didn't, like, sink all the way. Yeah. Because it's so shallow. Yeah. If there was a motor never went under, the bilge is pumping water in the air. <laughs> you know, the bow, the gas tank was so empty. I mean, we had a full tank, but the second tank was empty because we are going to get fuel in Wharton. Um, I couldn't get the fuel. Like, all our gear we just threw on the bank. Yeah, just got it out of there. Some things... I never found, you know, they floated away, but everything we could, I mean, John had like rods and reels that his military buddies built for him. And, you know, so it was sentimental stuff. We got out of the boat and then, um, I tried to get that fuel tank out, but it was so much air and I couldn't get it out of the front. Yeah. Anyway. And it was pointing up and about that time I was like, you know what? I just need a tractor. Yeah. I was like, so who owns this land? So, I found out who owned the land. 
called his office. He didn't answer. And his admin was like, after the third or fourth time calling and asking for this gentleman, she's like, dude, you know, not dude, like, sir, can I help you? Yeah. I was like, look, this is, sounds, this is really, <laughs> this is really stupid. But I sang my boat at the dam of y'all's land. You know, I would just like to see if y'all had the tractor, if the keys are in it. Yeah. And there's chains. I know how to run a tractor. I'll get this out. She goes, let me give you the ranch manager's phone number. So I call him. He's like, you know, can I help you? I'm like, this sounds stupid. <laughs> but I sang a bow down at the dam. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, that is kind of kind of stupid. Well, his first thing was, what are you even doing down there, dude? Yeah. Like, son. Yeah, he was son. like, more son. I mean, this. So I told him, I was like, look. You know, if you could get down here with a tractor, just let me borrow one, point me to the direction of where, if there's a barn on this place, you know. And um, he's like, look, I'm working cows. When I get done, I'll come down there. I said, look, bring a tractor. Does it have a front end loader? He said, yes, sir, it does. I said, if you got 60 foot of chain, we're golden. He's like, all right. So he shows up on an ATV side by side with a lady, young lady who's holding a baby. <laughs> it ended up being his daughter yeah. and his granddaughter and they're all wearing spurs. Like, they really were, they were cowboy. They were cowboy, yeah. yeah. And he gets out, and I show him all this, and I tell him, on the, over the phone, I told him my last name because yeah. we had family in the area, and my dad ranched and knew people. So he knew my dad, he knew my uncle, and I think that's what won him over to come help me. Yeah. And I just threw my name out, you know. But um, he didn't tell me when he showed up with his daughter and his granddaughter that – one of his helpers was coming with the tractor. I oh, think yeah. he was just like, I'm going to mess with this dude. And he, you know, he's looking at it. He's like, yeah, you got a real big problem here. I was like, man, I'm, I'm all MacGyver. Like, if we do this, by the time I hear the tractor coming, and he, <laughs> then he kind of looks at me and kind of grins like, I got you, boy, you know. So his helper shows up, and he's like, all right, Brian. He patted me on the back. He said, he's yours. Here's a chain. We ain't touching your boat or anything. Yeah. So yeah. I hook everything up and I tell the guy, look here, we already found a bunch of driftwood and some stuff to kind of get, because there's a lot of rocks there mm -hmm. that would just really scar and end up. So we got those laid out and we hooked up on it. I was like, man, there was a lot of water pressure pushing on us. Like, we're yeah. going to pull it up. This boat's either just going to crank and I'm going to pull out the motor yeah. and a bunch of scrap aluminum <laughs> or. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And man, he lifted and that boat just lifted up just and almost started floating. Kind of, there was water in the back. Yeah. So he pulls it up where the water is still draining out of the back up over yep. the back deck. And I pull the plug and I'm sitting there like, we can put this in and keep going. <laughs> Did and you? and we cranked the motor up. Everything yeah. ran. We got fuel. And he's like, all right, Brian, what do you want to do? I said, I think, I think we can put it back in. He's like, no, man, <laughs> I think you need to get this out of here. Yeah. And I was like, all right. So we we sat there for a little bit, looked at John, and he's like, man, I, you know, this guy came to help us. Let's yeah. don't put him in more bind. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. if we put back It'll in and sink it, it again, yeah. yeah, then he's there. He's going to have to help us. And I was like, you know what? I said, I call my dad. He'll be here in 45 minutes or 30 minutes because they happen to live that far away. The dad said, I'm on the way. I know the, he knew the he knew exactly, pasture. Yeah. He knew how to get there. I mean, that's just, you know, small town folk. And uh, about that time, the LCRA guy showed up. He beat his, he already had his guy coming. Yeah. But the guy took a wrong turn because, you know, there's so much property. And the guy came from Austin. 
and I think he beat my dad or got there about the same time dad is just to kind of see everything and when he got there he knew everything was cool but yeah we put it on the trailer and then uh it scratched a few things then at the bottom a little bit got home or got to my parents put the plug in it yeah put about six inches of water in the boat to test for leaks or holes yeah yeah until I heard the axle the first two creeks yeah yeah I was like we got no holes pull the plug drain the water and we were on the river the next morning so and then we got to the coast and it was just bad weather south wind 20 miles an hour we tried to fish south shoreline the marshes were muddy woke up in sergeant at my buddy's house the next day it was northern blew in yeah so just complete opposite just opposite everything was muddy in east uh east matagorda bay so we said let's just go to bayou vista where we're at right now yep so we drove the boat from sergeant all the way to our house and my wife lifted us up in the lift so we went from austin to garwood dam went to bay city so (laughs) we were gonna pull out at wharton anyway so we skipped 40 around 40 45 river miles but yeah, that was it was a cool trip. It sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, I might. I would like to do that one again with the with the river skiff though. Yeah, and really fish. Let me know. Uh, yeah, I'll ride along if you got room for one more. Yeah, that'd be a fun one. That would be fun. No, and then you didn't do the border to buy it. So the next year, the same thing happened. Um, or the same time frame was like, now let's do something else. Let's yeah. do border to buy you. So it was my idea with John, and then another boat joined us um the idea owen and alex and then that was about the time i think that's right when i left kinder morgan i started helping my wife with her sea deck company Mm -hmm. and doing sabine so it was like more of a full-time job and i was like guys i can't be away for a week you know we're running our two growing businesses yeah you know it's put out at swim time you know yeah yeah, yeah. so i was like i'm gonna help manage this we will do this i'll help you all where i can and obviously you're running Sabines or whatever, you know, but it, it wasn't really, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say it wasn't ever for publicity, yeah. but it was a paid trip that yeah, you got to do almost right. a once in a lifetime deal right. that the company paid for and whatever, whatever, you know, so, you know, they got to do it and I didn't, but I got to, then I was the nervous guy because they shared their, each boat Had the, shared yeah. their location. So, you know, every day watching. I'm looking at work on their phone going, man, I bet they're catching fish right there. Or, you know, <laughs> now they're running or they're running across the sketchiest bay in Texas for this trip. Mm-hmm. And then one of them's, you know, dot doesn't move for an hour. And I'm like, he sank his boat. Oh, no. And then, you know, five minutes later, he's, then it updates and boom, he's, he's where he yeah. needs to be or whatever, you know, and. So yeah, and then um, I, another Skiff customer just started flying airplanes, and in yeah. Port oh, O'Connor yeah, we dropped the, the we dropped the Yeti Panga bag full of like <laughs> Zumo Boudin and Waterburger, yeah Waterburger, Lone Star beer, a Turtle Box. Nothing made it but about three Lone Stars. I mean, they were all of them just. Can't, I mean, the Zumos and sausage made it, but they were just like so tenderized. The poor Turtle Box, you know. I mean, nothing would have survived that. The the Pango, the bag held up. The zipper popped open. Yeah. I mean, it it bounced four times, and yeah. it, and it didn't explode. I was like, wow, it made it. And they got there Until too. They got to it. it. Yeah, and the zipper just pulled open. So their water burger was soggy. But anyway, so that was, was I mean, probably ate, he probably ate it anyways, didn't he? Yeah, they they took a few bites because they were hungry for it. And we circled the plane back and went to the uh, airport and jumped in a little courtesy car and had dinner with them, bought them dinner that night. But 
that was a, I mean, yeah, it was a cool publicity. Yeah. I won't call it a stunt, but it was, I guess it was a stunt. But it was fun to throw something out of an airplane to your yeah. buddies. Yeah. No, I mean, I anybody can do that any day of the week. Yeah. I've never met anybody go do that. No, I had talked so, to, to Owen a little bit before that happened about uh, trying to tag along, but I ended up being at work. Yeah. Um, no, and it's definitely been stuff like that's been that's a, lot a trip of i, I want to make that trip oh yeah. and i both talked about it when the carbon comes out let's just take a week and vacation yeah we've done it before he's done it so we know where to spend time where not to spend time and yeah. we might pull it off but then by then my wife's probably gonna be like you're taking me on vacation boy. <laughs> so we'll see we'll see what kayler wants to do yeah but that would be, be a cool, cool one to do. Be cool to do yeah I remember watching that Border to Bayou trip and it, it was a big inspiration for a lot of what I'm doing now and a lot of what I wanted to well, start doing. And that's that was a point of all of it. Um, was one, I, me and my friends, whoever went with me, yeah, was got to have a trip we're going to tell our friends and talk about for oh, a long for time. Sure. Two, yes, we did it in Sabine's, Sabine's gift, so we could, yeah. you know, right off a trip <laughs> but you know what I mean I mean it was a vacation that we, but it's publicity but the cool thing with uh, technology today is you got to share with people like yeah. live Yep. like this is where we are today now a lot of uh, the border to buy you is so hard and even you know the river trip because you're, you're like you're either running mm-hmm. when you're running on plane with well, a guy in the front who's not driving well he can video stuff but there's only so much of the river that's fun yeah. to watch live right. on facebook or instagram or whatever and then you don't have a lot of good um uh cell phone service you yeah. know oh, or it's yeah. cool fishing oh, I know. or you're fishing and you're too busy fishing to yeah. show people <laughs> and um you know that's what a lot of people are like well, why didn't you fish for a week there well because I can't take a month vacation. Yeah. Like you, and neither can you. You know what I mean? They, <laughs> yeah. They think we're, you know, we're not celebrities or high-paid individuals. Right. We work probably as hard or harder than you do, you know? Yeah. So, um, but the the fishing time of these, because every day, if you're doing a seven-day trip, like the river trip or even border to Bayou, it was 60 to 80 miles or 90 miles that you had to make a day. Yeah. That's a lot of skiff driving. Yeah. And then to fish, so, you know, you don't have but three to four hours a day to fish. Right. And when do you fish? So you're looking at, you know, feeding times, weather. Right. Conditions of wherever you are. Right. You know, whatever. And it's it's hard to consistently catch fish on that trip. Now, Owen and Brandon did pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, so did the other skiffs, you know. So did, uh, I'm blanking their name. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, yeah. Kinsel and... Uh, Sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna blame people's names here, but yeah, you know, they. It's just it's hard yeah, to oh, con- yeah. consistently catch fish for seven days in a new bay system every day. Yeah, when you have three to four hours of fish. Yeah. So when me and you talked about the trip you're thinking about doing, I was like, that's what you need to focus on. Yeah. Alex, sorry, Alex. Alex. Alex and Kinsel, <laughs> they did pretty good. I mean, they round Corpus and Port O'Connor caught a lot of good fish. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to do. And the last day, they, which was cool, they pulled up to my dock. Yeah, on border to Bayou, tied off. We had a little party on the dock. Uh, Alex's parents came, you know, because they drove in from Houston. 
and uh, Owen's dad and uncle actually drove them to South Padre, so they got to spend a night with family. Oh, that's awesome. And then yeah. I jumped in the first river skiff with a friend from the house on the border of the bayou mm-hmm. and drove through Port Arthur or drove to Orange, Texas. I got you. And that day we fished for 30 minutes. I mean, we fished that morning for 30 minutes. Yeah, because for pretty much 30 that's minutes. That's a long run. From and then here. we just ran and we stopped. Yeah. Uh, one of my buddies brought us lunch uh, at a ranch that he worked on on the side of the intercoastal. So we stopped and fished with him and caught some redfish and some gar and whatever. And then, uh, but the rest of the trip, we were just running. I mean, we did stop in Orange. Another one of my friends was at a sandbar with his family. We just pulled in a sandbar off the Sabine River and yeah. swam for about 30 minutes and hung out with them. And yeah, I mean, you, yes, we build fishing boats, but you got to experience it all. Oh you know, yeah. Especially on these sure. trips. You know? Yeah, definitely. So one of the one of the the last things one of the and uh, we'll see how our live sessions doing but one of the things that I'm trying to start asking everybody because I'm still working on getting this podcast down to to how I want it but one of the one of the questions that I want to start asking everybody is uh, if you could fish anywhere if you could go anywhere in the world and fish where would you go how many days do I have to do this? as many days as you need so. And it, they just released it. Fisher's playing with their toys. Go ahead, Fish. <laughs> but um, I've I've seen the previews of it on a uh, the fly fishing film tour this year. Some guys, yeah, I think they rented a catamaran selling cat. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, so I saw that preview. I want, and this will probably happen. Yeah. But Kayla and I, when we're to that level of our life, we're gonna buy a selling cat. Yeah. And I'm gonna build my own tender. Yeah, dinghy of course. for it, I would, which I would is going to be skipped. And I, you know, I don't want to go to really South America other than the fish for some of the tarpon that are down there that are yeah. really potentially untouched. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say they're untouched because nothing none of the fish yeah. really is these days with technology. But I would like to do that. But I, I can just picture myself anchored up because there are some islands and sandbars that form and yep. deform. Yeah. But some unknown unnamed just island in the middle of the bahamas getting out catching bone fish that can be the easiest fish to catch it can be the hardest <laughs> but you wait you know you either pull on a skiff or a, mm-hmm. you know i pull my little homemade tender by it's myself like, by my I, I like fishing by myself yeah a lot and just walking catching and then going back to the tender Kayler has lunch <laughs> fixed already we sit there and Eat conch salad or whatever he did, whatever you know, is, and then yeah. yeah, have a little drink or so, or whatever, some coffee for breakfast, and then, but yeah, I think that would be the one thing right now. I'm, I'm not a big tarpon guy, or you know, anywhere yeah. in the states. You know, there's some freshwater stuff. I wanna, I wanna swing for some steelhead. Yeah, you know, oh, I really yeah. want to do that, but um, it's cold. <laughs> I don't like that. In the Bahamas, it's you get nothing but a, Texas. Yeah, you know barefoot waiting on a sand flat the the number of times off that, of your sailboat that i've been that i've been uh on the ship that i work on and and we got charts for you know all over the world and i've just sat there and looked at charts and been like man i bet no one's ever tried to fish that yeah. that atoll well, we come up we started this scheme it was a scheme it was an idea it was right when sabine started um i had foot surgery out of my foot you know messed up on me so we got uh we 
couldn't go on a European vacation yeah. with Kayler's parents and brother-in-law. Her dad was working in Germany at the time. And that's how we ended up on more John's boat. Yeah. Because we skipped his vacation. We, you know, made some posts on Facebook about it. And he's like, he messed me. He's like, dude, come spend a week with me and my wife. Yeah. So when we went on his sailboat and saw the possibilities of going where you want, when you want. Yeah. And uh, she'll be down a little bit. <laughs> but uh, the the selling experience with your own polling skiff tender. That would be awesome. Would be pretty, pretty right. Yeah. You go at your own pace. See, that would be. Let the wind take you where it's going to take you. I, I definitely have had dreams about jumping on a sailboat and just sailing around to fly fish forgotten atolls and yeah. barren islands and stuff. There's, I think I would push it a little further than Kaler would as far as where to go, you know, and some of the uh, different islands around the world that are really unsafe. Yeah. I would I would be the one that pushes there. Yeah, yeah. She probably wouldn't want to go, but there, I mean, there's some places that yeah. Oh, I've got I've got a friend sketchy, of mine that's but. that's uh, in the middle right now of uh, solo sailing around the world, mm. and she's already been beaten up and mugged once. But yeah, I have I have friends that have got knives pulled on them. Yeah, bone fishing in Mexico and. Is she pointing right now? No, sorry. She's we're watching, she's we're watching the bird dog hunt flies. Good. Um, all right, so we got about 19 people on our Instagram any... Live right now. So if you guys are watching on Instagram Live right it's now, green skips. Yeah. What are you? Uh, we got any questions? Anybody out yeah, there? Yeah. If you guys, if you guys listening on on the live feed, if you guys got any questions. Good morning. Good morning. Where the heck are you at? Australia. Was it? Let's see. Let's see. We'll see if any roll in real quick. We'll give you guys a few minutes. Let's see what this is. There's yeah. a delay. <laughs> yeah, there is. Carbon at the fishing show. Ooh. Won't make that schedule. No. We're going to, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be close. I, I have a feeling that we're going to be rigging. Nah, we're not going to make it. No. Not even going to say it. I don't think we'll even be in the rigging stage. So, unfortunately not. I know we talked about this gentleman that just posted that. Me and him talked about it last yeah. year because it was going there and then. But, uh, you know, about second and third quarter of last year, yeah. Q2, Q3, the labor issues really hurt our vendors. That was helping us get the plugs going to get, to to get, get the molds. Built, yeah. So we had to punt and, and switch teams. Yeah. And – Luckily, you know, I have business relationships yeah. with good teams, but they even don't have the labor force, you know, to get me where I need to get quick enough. But Any demos coming up near San Antonio? Yeah, that's a good question. So we can do that. Not really near San Antonio. We're going to be in uh, the end of this month, the end of February, we're yep. going to be at Trout Fest. Yep. It's our first year to ever go to Trout Fest. We're going to highlight a river skiff. We're going to be inside the tent. Yeah, we'll have a river skiff there that has oars set up, has a sixty forty Tahatsu jet um, tiller boat. It lives not far from there, catches a lot of big bass close to there. So if you want a demo in San Antonio, we have a river skiff and a jet, or we can just set you up with a guide, um, Randy, and just do it that way. Uh, as far as a demo, um, I do less and less. It's it's crazy when we started. I was demoing a lot. Yeah, yeah. And 
I mean, we do less and less demos every year because, you know, guides have boats. You've demoed somebody yep. for me I, and sold that guy. Uh, so yeah, I ran into him at the dog park. Like he's like, man, I bought that. His, <laughs> his was the one that had the maroon powder coat that got delayed. Oh really? Yeah, poor guy. Um, was an awesome gentleman to deal with and do work for. But that's you know on on that point of the demos though, that's one of the things that that I haven't that I'd like to speak to with Sabine is um, that you and Kaler have built around these skiffs is you know obviously they're a fantastic skiff but one of the things that that i really started to fall in love when i fell in love with these skiffs is the fact that like you didn't you don't just build like here's your skiff see ya like you have like a whole family so that's when you're take notes people want to build a brand <laughs> but when you're as small as we are building such a unique product and maybe it was because i had a family growing up and that's yeah. how we hung out together and all this stuff but yeah i mean we have the sabine cup yep. every year we've donated uh last year we gave some money to a family you know that was in need mm -hmm. uh that was in the fly fishing community this year uh we're gonna give uh a, a young male and a young female a texas lifetime hunting and fishing license <sighs> um i'm waiting for our um rulers to get in mm -hmm. and our yeti cups yeah to get in before i kind of debut who won and the the rules for this next year and yeah. why we're going to do what we're going to do for this next year but yeah i mean we have a sabine's gift dove hunt that if you hunt uh or your old school customer you get invited to um unfortunately we can't invite everybody because it's a limited facility uh we usually have a christmas party mm -hmm. at our house and yep. we cook we didn't have it this year because of some unforeseen circumstances but yeah i mean i think you need that feeling you know fowler that's not our fault <laughs> now fowler uh let me know yeah i think you need to go uh poll pete around yeah Put yeah, him on I've some talked, of those, put him on some of those sheep yeah. head yeah dude he needs to show yeah. i need to figure the sheep's head out you got baby tarpon hanging around. Yeah. Go deal with that. But yeah, yeah. that's, um, no, yeah. it's something I, I definitely love about the whole brand. And, and I mean, that was one of the things like, so I, um, when I fished Baracho that I, that I picked up on is like, cause I, I mean, I knew the guys I was fishing with cause I'd met them that day and I knew my one buddy I was staying with and I think another buddy, but then like, you know, I, I came over, I saw you, I came over and said hi, and then it was just immediately, like, all the guy, all the Sabine yeah, guys. Yeah, I hate like, it. I kind of I like it, but kind of hate it. Yeah, no, it's I, like I, I the know Sabine, what you mean. That's the Sabine posse <laughs> over there. The Sabine posse over there. But it was nice, but it was, really, it was cool, though, for me. For we're me friends with everybody. It, it was but, cool for me because I didn't yeah. know a lot of people, right. and all those guys were just like, yeah. come hang out. You know? And I, I hope we're not, you know, building a clique. You know, or yeah, a yeah. rude type. I know, and I hope other people out there that look at our customers aren't, you know, well, those Sabiners do this and they do that and they're rude. You know, hopefully it's that, hopefully that's not the vibe we're putting out on the yeah. water. Um, I don't think it is because of the reaction I'm getting from other people. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's in the industry or that the fishes or that's at the boat ramp or that's got pulled in or saved or whatever. Yeah, by a Sabine customer, but yeah. Um, if you own a Sabine, don't be a prick. 
be nice to everybody. What's he say? I'm getting one built without even getting a... Skiff. Bug, that's what I'm talking about. That's how awesome it is. He is. We're about to start Bug Skiff in uh, in a month. He's, What's he getting? He's getting a versatile. Tunnel? I don't remember. No, I think it's, we're going to go over his bill tomorrow, but I yeah. think it's a non-tunnel. It's Louisiana. Oh, no, he is you. getting a tunnel. But yeah, he's a tunnel hole side console. He's gonna We've been fun. talking, texting throughout the day. But yeah. so what I do, it's it's funny that I brought this up. I used to could meet with the customer yeah. the week before we start your build. Now yeah. I have to do it like months ahead of time to make sure I have all these materials. Mm-hmm. And I do. I, I meet with a customer because you quote these people six months, eight months, 12 months, whatever. And we go over his build and or her build. <laughs> and uh, and Buck, no tunnel. Come on. No. Anyway, so we uh, we go over their build. And right then I really... I pretty much know my long lead times right, right now, or I think I do, even though they will change. But we go over, you know, basic stuff. Yeah. Because colors can change mm-hmm. this, but you're either tunnel, non-tunnel, yeah. tiller, not, you know, stuff like that, and, and go through that. But uh, that's, I've had to change my schedule, if you looked at it as a project manager, of how I build these skips because yeah. of the delays and everything yeah. else. But. So how many Sabines have we put out to date? I can't say exactly because that's you know we've put out over a hundred. We're right at a hundred. Yeah, yeah, I think mine was small. Mine was in the sixties. Yeah, we're small. I mean, there's guys that launch a skiff or a boat company, not a skiff or a skiff company too, and they're building. You know, they got twenty four on order, yeah. and I never, I never want to build more than one a week. Yeah. Uh, that's 50, 52 a year, but yeah. you're not going to work, you know, fit every year, uh, right, week right. of the year. Um, that's just the, the size of company I want to build or that I want to keep produce. it small, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah I know you got to keep it in to my, I mean, we're, we're a niche product. We want to be custom to semi-custom to yeah. the extent and we want to be, um, just have that relationship with the customer and you can't do that when you're building 200 skips right a year yeah or 100 skips a year no so, in my opinion you can tips for getting the wife's approval there you go tips for getting the wife's approval to start a build oh any tips i any thought tips. you were like wanting me no, to what, tip you no, i'm like no, heck no, no, yeah no. Send how, do deposit. Get, how do we get <laughs> so the biggest thing so i have i and i, I hope this gentleman doesn't I hope I'm not throwing him under the bus, but I met a guy recently. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. how or whatever, but uh, we have a, a lot of stuff in common with hunting and dogs and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we demoed years ago, and they had a set budget. Yeah. I was over their budget. Um, and him and his wife set this budget together, right? Yep. Um, him and his wife set this budget <laughs> together. So... He had to stick with his budget. Right. And since we were over it, they went a different route. But yet he he didn't want the route he's going. So he's yeah. he's having to buy something he doesn't want. Now, how often yeah. do you do that? Like, it sucks. But sometimes you can't afford this on a menu, so you have to get right, right. the chicken salad yes. and just eat it yeah. to survive. So me and him talked about it. And, you know, a lot of times we get this where my wife... I got a question the other day. Can we pull a tuber hooked up to your chan- transom straps? <laughs> and yes, because I've 
pulled myself, you know, but yeah, I mean, kids want to go tubing. Everybody has, you know, most families have kids. Most mamas want to take their kids. Um, If your wife, you know, depending on your budget, I would not get a a, a micro. Because no, if you got a some, family, yeah. Yeah, there's people that got out of micros. They loved it. Yeah. The dude who fished in the micro loved it. Yeah. But when his wife got on the boat or their children, it was overloaded or they couldn't <laughs> go to the sandbar. They couldn't do this. So then it's not a family boat. Right. Where a versatile, they can at least go run a Sunday beach. They can go hang out at Rockport, whatever the beach is there. Or yeah. like I said, in the River of Sabine, you can you can take go out of the same family. Yeah. yeah. So I would look toward the versatile. I would look toward a console. Resell value. Yeah. Most. I think I would almost bet it's either ninety to a hundred percent of our customers have broke even or made money if they knew what they were doing when they yeah. sold the boat or they asked for my help. I also have a policy. I will, I'll help you sell your boat if you're putting a deposit down on another Sabine. Yeah. But if you're not, I can only help a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. And the only reason I do that is because I got burned too many times where I, I helped this guy so much. And then, well, he went dead on someone within that customer or potential customers mad at me. Because they can't get a hold of this guy who's right. trying to sell his I boat. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm stuck. I'm the middleman that stuck. gets mad. You know. So that's why I, I created that own policy. But um, I had one customer who, if he he sold his Sabine so cheap, I would have bought it because I could have turned around the next day and, and made five grand on it. And the customer that did that did that, he made more than that. But after using it a year. But resale yeah. value is I, is huge. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, and, I think I could get my money out of mine. Yeah, right I now. mean, I've had a gentleman a day said, "Is there any used versatiles on the market?" I know of one, and I don't even know if that guy wants to sell it anymore. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I know of two micros that both of them are just in life. They're in the point of their life where they just cannot have a boat anymore. Or they don't need one. You know, because well, of certain circumstances that come up. Um, and there is going to be one versatile who, again, another his whole life made a change. I mean, he's moving halfway across the U.S. Yeah, that he cannot use a right, flat spread. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, resale value. Get a versatile. So families can can fish and mm-hmm. hunt and go to the sandbar and you know hook an inner tube up to it and pull Jimmy down the you know the river or Jamie. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so yeah, that'd be the. You know, one of one of if if I was up, gonna, if I was, flow. If I was going to give a quick tip um, for convincing your wife, uh, one of the things that I would say towards a boat is that... She doesn't have to make dinner for like a month. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We don't make our wives cook dinner. No, I cook for her all the time. Um, No, I would say, though, that um, safety, 100%. Like, one day when I have kids and they get to the age that it's time for them to... Oh, we ran out of time. Um, one one day when I have kids and they get to the age that that they want to go out on their own, they don't want dad involved. Like I feel, I'd feel a hundred percent comfortable. Um, so that boat clears water so fast. I know that it can take. You know, I've I've slid it across rocks. I've slid it across oysters. I've slid it. And it can handle a chop. So many people are like, how does it handle two foot chop? There, yeah. My first response is it handles two foot chop like a skiff that drafts in six inches of water. <laughs> they don't handle it very well. 
but it'll handle it at it'll 18 to 20 it, yeah. miles per hour. Yeah. I did. I recently had a gentleman who bought a used, uh, used Sabine. It was a micro, but he sold a high-end composite skiff. Yeah. Because he didn't want his kids to beat up his high-end composite skiff. He so he would be that more. he would be the carbon yeah. fiber guy that was like, bro, I don't need that carbon fiber Sabine. I yeah. need the aluminum version, you know, because yeah. he wanted he wanted his young kids to learn they, yeah. th- to learn to run the boat, but he didn't want them messing up an eighty thousand no, dollar yeah. X Y Z boat that wasn't one of ours. But, oh, I I can know. tell you right now, I've got a plan in the back of my head that if I got a couple of kids that are you know die hard, we want to go fishing all the time. You might get a micro out yeah, of it. Exactly. Because, I mean, if get I was... Them a, get them the aluminum version. Oh, and yeah. Then, you know, I'm daddy not gonna... gets the carbon <laughs> version. Because everybody has $150,000. Yeah. Those. Anyway. That's... All right, but, guys. Yeah. Anything else? I don't think anybody's, you know, any no. more questions. No, they're done. No, they're done. Ready All right. To get out of here. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thank you, everyone that tuned in on Instagram Live. Thank you, guys, for the questions. Thank you, guys, for following along. I know we lost some people earlier. Um if you're not already, you should be following Sabine Skiffs on Instagram. Check out the boats on their website. You got a bunch of fishing shows you're going to be at soon, right? Yep. Trout Fest in uh, New Braunfels in this month, February. Uh, we're going to Houston Fishing Show after that. Mm-hmm. It's either in March or April. <laughs> they changed the date so much I can't keep it memorized. Um, yeah. Those are our big two coming up and then yeah. guys anybody wants to demo no matter where you are in the u.s at least ask yeah i just got a deposit mailed to me from a gentleman from florida who went he demoed through you know another guy in florida yeah. so yeah you know. no i mean i mean like when when i wanted to demo um matt i went out with matt Lowe. yeah and and that's what i tell guys if, if you message me on the skiff wanderer I'm going to tell you, start talking to Brian and yeah, you know, there's a pretty good chance that Brian's going to call me and then be like, Hey, if, if I can't do it because of location, yeah, I'll try to find a guide in the area. Yep. So at least he can make money and get paid. Yep. And, yep. and usually a guide's good because the, the person doing the demo, although they're paying for a guided trip, you get eight hours to pick brains. Oh to really yeah. fish and see it. And then you, but you're fishing. Yeah. So you're having yeah. fun and, and getting pulled around. But um, if not, I do have customers spread out that have told me that aren't getting paid. They're just genuinely nice guys like Peter. Like, just yeah. let me know. And if I'm in town or if yeah. I can have the time, we'll, be, we'll meet up. Yeah. So that's just yeah. kind of the Sabine family that we've built. Yep, definitely. Yep. So, again, thank you guys. If you're listening to this on Apple, Spotify, Google, please, please leave a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit like, hit subscribe, all that good stuff. Thank you everyone for joining along with us tonight. We really appreciate it. See y'all next time. I'm going to keep going. Carlos, just ask how many Sabines have we put a surface drive on? We cannot put surface drives on Sabine because I signed an agreement with one of my past business partners that I bought out. Oh, really? That I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. And there's not a lot of margin in those boat, the motors anyway, so I don't want to mess with them and the controversy of surface drives. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Two customers have put surface drives on their Sabines on their own time, but uh, they're slow. 
They're like low 20, 22 to 25 mile per hour, and they're Is that heavy. just the drive? Just the way the drive's set up? It's the way they're set up. It's the way we build our transoms for outboards. Yeah. Not for surface not drive. For the surface. angle's very similar. I imagine it matters. But heights is a little bit off. There's a trick to it. And because there's a trick to it, I don't, I'm not going to get into it because of the agreement, and I'm going to stand by my agreement yeah, with my yeah. buddy. But uh, it's no hard feelings with that gentleman. It was just part of it when we, you know, he went his you way on my way. You don't need a surface way. drive yeah. just, uh, <laughs> you get tunnel if, But if you want a surface drive, you'll have to put it, you'll have to purchase it and install it yourself. We'll do everything else. Yeah. And then um, they're slow, heavy, but they are good for, you know, grassy situations and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah. I haven't found anything. I hope that, that answers your question, Carlos. I can tell you with the tunnel hole, jack plate, and trim tabs, I haven't found anything that is too skinny. Very seldom. I mean, we have the customer that runs his surface drive a lot in Florida did it because he put $8,000 of damage in his existing polling skiff that he still has. And it wasn't the surface drive had nothing to do with the damage. Uh, he hit a coral rock Ooh. that ripped his composite skiff apart. Yeah. But it did mess up his lower unit. Right. Where a surface drive would have just kicked up. Yeah. So that's been beneficial to him because since then he's hit rocks and it's just kicked up he got a versatile with a 3 bottom things like that the other gentleman that has a surface drive is here local fishes a lot of oysters uh come out of a surface drive square nose boat and this guy's fly fished all over the world so when i made a no hull slab aluminum boat like he was yeah, in he wanted it yeah because his aluminum surface drive boat had a hull slap and yeah so he got the same speed and performance but a better polling boat yeah but it's still loaded 22 23 mile right. per hour boat you know does that sur the surface drives doesn't make a problem when you're polling i mean it is heavier they're like 290 290 yeah. pounds yeah where your your motor and jack plate is 250. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit different. So that's the last question I see. Sweet. All right, guys, we're going to get out of here. It is uh, it's 9.30 Texas time. We, we might go hit some lights. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah let's, let's go, go fishing. Let <laughs> me look outside. Yeah, we'll go hit some lights. We're going to go fishing. See you guys. See you all later.